Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Wednesday morning, and it is the Sports Animals. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth once again. We are the Bobby. We are on the Bobby Current Show on ESPN Honolulu. Chris Hart uh, will be back with us in two days on Friday. Uh, coming up later today, we've got our final edition of this season's Rivals Fantasy Football Show. So stay tuned for that in the eight o'clock hour, starting right at eight o'clock. We'll have a great giveaway as well. We'll also have some tickets to give out throughout the show for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic, and also. For for the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Got a lot to go over in a lot of different sports and not a lot of breaking news. Um, fortunately, there's no sad news. I mean, yesterday was a really rough way to start with the news on Mike Leach. Uh, still thinking about that and seeing all the tributes yesterday. So let's start with some, uh, I guess, positive news in sports, if there is such a thing. And there is. There's a lot of good things that go on. And if you are a San Francisco Giants fan, and I know we have many of them here, you're probably really happy that they just signed a star player, an all-star player, probably a Hall of Famer, shortstop Carlos Correa, formerly of the Houston Astros. Last year, he played with Minnesota. 13-year contract for $350 million. These salaries get higher and higher, and it seems like the shortstops are really catching on this year as far as getting big contracts, but Carlos Correa, giant, that will help them, and I know a lot of fans are really happy about that. Yeah, I'm sure that there are a lot of fans that are happy about it. I'm sure there's a lot of fans that are equally dreading it. Um, because look, I understand Carlos Correa, really great player. We've all know what he's done back with the Astros and you know, he, he played pretty well last season as well. But when you're 28, you sign a 13 year contract. <laughs> it just feels a little ridiculous with the contract length, like the contract number, the, the, the price looks high, but I'm sure the number helps, but this only this makes me as a Red Sox fan a lot more nervous because uh, we need to re-sign uh, Rafael Devers and uh, we don't really have a good track record of re-signing our stars. And as these contract oh, numbers get higher and higher, uh, hope the Red Sox ownership, you know, kind of take take some take a unique situation out of theirs and actually try to pay one of their stars. But in all, congratulations to Correa. You got a bag. This is probably why people still play baseball to this day, because you could <laughs> get this kind of contract and just be set for life. Your first comment about, you know, it's kind of ridiculous for the length and everything, that's the first thing I thought of. And I, I sometimes, or more than sometimes, I'm really kind of amazed at this. And I know the executives know more than us. And one of the reasons I think they feel good about it is that six, seven years from now, the uh, right around $30 million he's going to be getting, it's going to be an average of less than that, uh, is not going to be that high because the salaries keep increasing. Okay, I understand that, even though that part I don't totally agree with. But as you said, he's 28, and we'll do the math. He'll be 41 when 
when this contract is over. Let's look back at Albert Pujols, one of the greats of the game in his prime, and at the end of that deal that he signed with the Angels, the 10-year deal, he was not that good. So you can say, well, $28 million, let's say, is the average about, that it's not going to be a really high contract compared to others, but he's probably in 10, 11 years, if he's still playing, going to be a either a part-time player, a guy that's going to really slow down. There's very few players, if ever, uh, who, don't, I mean, Tom Brady in football might be the exception, but there's very few players that don't slow down when they get into their late 30s, and he, he's not playing a physical position per se, but I, I have a feeling they might regret this in year 8, 9, 10, 11, but right now I think it really helps them. They had a rough year last year, so they got themselves a star player to help get more fans on board again, but I think they're going to be up, upgraded as far as their talent this year, but it is a lot of money, and it just seems like every couple of weeks we're seeing a bigger and bigger contract in baseball. Ball, huh? Yeah, so please, Red Sox, uh, re-sign Devers. That's all I ask. <laughs> That's all I ask for this offseason. Please, please find a way to uh, let's not Mookie bets this. Let's not Xander Bogarts this. Let's try to keep Devers in-house, please. You can go on and on with some of the players they love. You can go back as far as Roger Clemens. Yeah, I can keep going. But Wade I, Boggs. I mean, they all I, ended up somewhere I else. I really choose not to keep going. Yeah, I, I I know how it is. I know how. It, well, see, my Mets trade for players, but they usually stink when they join the Mets, as opposed to being really good when they're not in the Mets and they go to New York and you know they become has-beens or however you want to label it. But yeah, Carlos Correa, after losing out on Aaron Judge, that's a really good deal for them. I think it's an important signing. So yeah. congrats to the Giants right there. Uh, another uh, headline I think was a. NBA game, I know some people will think that the NBA season will start a week from Sunday when it's Christmas, when you have that big lineup, and people always kind of mention that. I know you and I and a lot of others, though, realize it started in late October, and there are some good matchups. And there were some really good matchups yesterday. Golden State and Milwaukee is one, which we'll get into. But the Lakers and Celtics in overtime. And I know you're a Celtics fan, so I'm sure you're a little nervous there. They had a commanding lead. Every time I looked up, they were up by 20. And then I saw the number later on when I saw the Lakers up by one. Over the third quarter, I forget what minute mark, to the beginning of the fourth or a few minutes into the fourth quarter, the Lakers outscored Boston 48-12. to That's incredible. And they actually had a lead. Anthony Davis, for the second time in less than a week, misses a free throw that could have won the game. And they go to overtime and they lose to Boston. But what a great game that was between two classic rivals. Yeah, so I, as much as I hate to say it, I feel great about this Boston team as like I say that because this week hasn't been the best week for the Boston Celtics. You had the loss to the Clippers, loss to the Warriors, and this close win against the Lakers. How could you feel good about this team? Well, we're doing this with Blake Griffin as our starting five. Yeah. So once Al Horford and Robert Williams comes back for this team, I'm only gonna see this team get better and better and better as some of these guys, you know, stop getting some minutes that I feel like don't really aren't going to be getting a lot of playoff minutes. And then when you look at the Lakers, I think that their very bad, 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 terrible start, they're far away from that. LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, I think all three of them have looked their best versions of themselves in the last couple of weeks. That's true. So if I'm a Lakers fan, I feel good about that. If I'm a Lakers fan, I don't feel good about Guys like Patrick Beverly not necessarily playing up to the standard that you expect him to play when you're getting some quality minutes from guys like an Austin Reeves, uh, uh, Troy Brown Jr. off the bench as well, getting 31 minutes over both Beverly and Schroeder, both getting 19 apiece. If I'm looking at this team right now, I'm confused why, you know, 
like when I see Austin Reeves on the court, I feel a little night. I feel good about it because that's like LeBron James's uh, white guy on the team that's surprisingly good on defense. You know, there was Alex Caruso before, Matthew Delvadova before. Right. So Austin Reeves is just that prototype that follows LeBron James around. And if the Lakers can just find some kind of momentum on a good starting five that they can feel consistent about, I think then they'll be, you know, a solid team. I think Anthony Davis is looking the best he's looked probably since he won finals MVP in the bubble. Yeah, he so. had that stretch and having an unbelievable stretch. Had like over th- in a 10-game stretch, he had over 30 points, seven of those 10 games. And the only games that were under 30 were all over 25, double-digit rebounds. He actually has been really impressive. Unfortunately, those free throws stand out a little bit as well, though. Yeah, and unfortunately, they did have to run into the buzzsaw that is Jason Tatum as he scores, yeah. what, 44 last 44, night? 44, um, yes. Yeah, so I think right now the Boston Celtics are easily the best team in the NBA. I think there's a couple of teams that are close behind them. You think about the Bucks. You even think about the New Orleans Pelicans, yeah. who just beat the Suns two twice in a row just last week and made them, you know, cry over a dunk at the end of a game. So <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see Zion Williamson and the Pelicans rise. I'm excited to see, uh, like I said, Giannis Antetokounmpo try to get back to the finals. I think he's really great. I think there's a lot of really great storylines as we head into the official, the official official beginning of the NBA season, and that is Christmas Day. Yeah, but we're, we're actually like one more than one-fourth of the way in, which, you know, it might not be a you lot You know what I mean. It's like yeah, the, I know what you it's mean. It's the sure. official start for the casual watcher. Yeah, and, and when people still say, well, maybe it's early still, it's not really early anymore. I mean, in a couple of, you know, a month we'll be at the midway point, right around there anyway. But, yeah, great game yesterday. Well, we're going to have Trevor Lane uh, from Lakers Nation. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour and talk more about the Lakers and maybe what's ahead because uh, they're still in last place. But still, they're not that far out of – being in last place in the Pacific Division still leaves them four and a half behind Phoenix in first place. So it's not like last place means as much as it might at other points of the season with other teams because they're that close to being in first. The problem, I think, is there's a lot of teams between them and Phoenix and between them and the top eight or, yeah, top four even in the Western Conference. So I'm not sure about the playoffs for them yet, but uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how that plays itself out if there are trades ahead of them. Which then, leads me to the third headline, Tanner, is uh, and staying with the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks played Golden State yesterday, part of that doubleheader on TNT. Milwaukee wins, and you'd probably expect because Golden State is two and eleven on the road this year, uh, which is really hard to explain. Uh, I didn't think they would win by that much, and I know uh, they were missing Andrew Wiggins in that game. The headline I want to bring up is Draymond Green, who uh, had a quiet game on the court, two point six rebounds. But I guess this was on the court, but it involves a fan off the court. A fan allegedly threatened his life, threatened Draymond Green's wife, life, and Draymond Green had the fan ejected at the next stoppage in play, pointed him out to a referee. The referees are allowed to do that. And I just want to spend like a minute or two on fan behavior at games. I, I hate that kind of stuff. And I was talking last week when Chris was with us about a lot of the fights, and I'm sure you see these videos uh, of fights at sporting events and they've been on social media a lot for the last few years and it seems like a lot of them are football games i think they're alcohol infused in my opinion without knowing for sure because i know there's a lot of tailgating in football but every now and then you have a hockey fight in arizona 
of all places, last Saturday, between two sets of fans, somebody had part of their finger bitten off, and that was one of the most brutal fan fights I've seen. Then you get a fan threatening Draymond Green's life yesterday. Fans really, at times, take it too far. That's one of the things I love about going to events here. Hawaii fans aren't like that. Not a lot of fans are, but enough are to make it just really kind of sickening to think about what goes on at some sporting events. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, let's be real here. The NBA, you know, they get a lot of this money, but that isn't any real reason for you to be threatening someone's life over. Right. I mean, this guy could have been a guy that just, you know, Draymond Green messed up his parlay because he had betted that Draymond Green's first points was going to come off a layup, maybe. You know, and then he'll, then he'll be like, hey, you ruined my parlay. What the, what the F is wrong with you and all that stuff, and then threaten his life over him making some poor choices in his own life. I think when you look at the fan experience, obviously we're not talking about, hey, you can't say let the cakeys play, let the cakey play, you know, to the refs. You know, there's a difference between that and what this fan said to Draymond. And I I like that some NBA players are putting it out into the open that they're being treated like this, especially from these guys that think they're so important that they sit courtside. Like I was it LeBron a couple of years ago? that pointed out those two fans in Atlanta where they were heckling him the entire game and he got them kicked out. Right, the, courtside seats. And then you think out, about right? the times where you see fans dumping like popcorn onto the players as they head into the tunnel. There's yeah. a lot of just, there's a lot of weird cringe behavior that goes on from some of these uh, weirdos at NBA games and NFL, NHL games. And I think that's what we have to do. We just have to publicly embarrass these guys as cringe weirdos who think that they're more important than other people. And I think you just, there's no room in society for people like that. I I agree. It just really bothers me. And I, I mean, I very almost never have gotten affected by fan behavior. Um, I got into an argument with some guys at a hockey game once. 20, well, I got involved with an argument with some fans in, in Long Island once, and I almost got a physically assaulted, and I actually did at a New York Rangers game for being stupid enough to wear a New York Islanders jersey, and that was pretty sad or very scary. And I'll, that's another story that Bobby Kern has told numerous times on the show. But getting back to like Draymond Green, and I like the fact that the NBA players have been told, hey, you can go to a referee if a fan is really harassing you, crossing that line. Go to a referee. The referee knows he can kick anybody out. I mean, he doesn't have to ask somebody, you know, to talk to a guy. He can say, you're out. And uh, that's like he can eject a player and call a tech. They can do the same thing with fan. And the ref last night heard about it, told security, kick this guy out. No questions asked. And that's the way it should be. And I give Draymond Green credit for, you know, holding back a little bit. Because if somebody's threatening your life, I mean, you don't want to have another malice in the palace. And that was more of something thrown at Ron Artest, as he was known then. But still, you don't want to wait for it to get to that point. That was one of the ugliest, maybe the ugliest day in NBA history. Really, really, really bad. And fans, again, Draymond Green says in the ESPN.com article that, you know, fans feel they can do this because these guys are like superstars and, you know, we can get to them like, wow, look what we accomplished. And they go home and laughing about it with their buddies that they accomplished something. Well, the guy got kicked out of the game and uh, hopefully they'll maybe get their season ticket revoked as well if it does come to that i want to expand on that just a little bit and i get uh, your guys thoughts on that at 808-296-1420 and we have laker basketball talk as well coming up at the bottom of the hour all ahead here on espn honolulu 98 92.7 fm and 1420 a.m 
Never get tired of hearing this song. Although we probably won't hear it much after the 25th of December. Gary Dickman here and Tanner Hayworth. We welcome your text and calls at 808 296 1420. I want to get to a little bit more basketball. We have our guests coming up at the bottom of the hour. But uh, hearing uh, during the break, though, we are the Bobby Curran Show, of course. I know people keep asking about Bobby, and that's great to hear. A lot of people are concerned and, you know, really thinking about Bobby. And uh, he called me as I finally got a chance to talk to him since the surgery. I've talked to him numerous times beforehand, but I haven't had a chance since. And uh, it was interesting because he calls up and I'm like, oh, Bobby, how are you feeling? And he goes, oh, good. How's the UH basketball team? And every time I'd comment about his health, all he wanted to know was about UH basketball. And he told me what he's heard. He was asking about specific players and the games. And that was kind of refreshing. He is doing well. Uh, it is a long, long process. So he will be in the Phoenix area probably for another five or six months at least. But he is making progress. And not only is the surgery a success, but he's making progress since the surgery. And uh, you saw the article yesterday in the Star Advertiser. Great work by Stephen Sy once again. Uh, if he, one thing I will tell you, he's taking a test. I don't know exactly what the test consists of. But if he passes that test, he will be able to eat on his own. Between right now and the surgery, about two weeks ago now, he hasn't been able to eat on his own. The only thing he can eat is basically uh, sucking on ice cubes, ice chips, I guess they call them. And I had to do something like that when I was in the hospital for something else years and years ago. And that was only for a day. And that was not fun. I can just, and he, like, he's been doing it for over eight or nine days, he said. But he's doing well and he appreciates all the well wishes. Just wanted to pass that along. I know a lot of people are asking. Okay, back to the NBA and fan behavior. I just want to get on fan behavior. I know Tanner wants to talk a little bit more about the Lakers as well. It, it, you know, again, it, it, here in Hawaii, every now and then you'll have an incident at a football game, a UH game. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything at all the last, well, this year or last year. But there were times at Aloha Stadium every now and then you'd have some kind of a disagreement, and it got physical rarely, but it happened. Still, fan behavior, that's one of, the, again, one of the things I love about Hawaii is the fan behavior and respect. I mentioned on Monday's show real briefly, but when Hawaii beat St. Francis in basketball, on Sunday, and Josh Cohen, the 6'10 big for St. Francis, came out of the game after scoring 40 points. A lot of fans applauded for him. Some stood, and that was class. It was class. It was uh, knowledge of the game, and I, I, I appreciated that. That might happen in other places, too, but not everywhere. Uh, again, when you see some of the ugliness that goes on on the mainland in some of these games, it's pretty bad. And I, I don't even know the answer to this, but I'm going to guess there might have been something because Tanner, uh, was it a year ago, I think, you went to the Michigan-Michigan State football game? Was that last year? Yes. Did you see anything? I mean, that's a big rivalry, of course. Even if both, well, one team is great these years, another team has struggled these last years, and that's Michigan State. But was there any kind of uh, rowdiness going on there? Uh, not really, actually. I was in a, I was in a uh, top. I was in the uh, what's it called the top section, the the higher section. So I do know stuff happened. Uh, my friends who were sitting in the student section, there was a couple of Michigan fans that had somehow bought student <laughs> section tickets, and they got pretty beat up, from what I've heard wow. from from comments that they've made. So there was rowdiness. Uh, trying to leave Michigan State. Uh, I witnessed a, a car getting destroyed, so that was really wow. that was really fun. Um, you know, uh, when I was at my friend's apartment and I looked towards the campus, you know, I could see one, you know, uh, pillar of smoke. So you know, better than two. So, <laughs> <laughs> so definitely there is rowdiness when it comes to a stadium that is sold out 
like the one at Michigan State. But, I mean, for me, my only issue was, like, this lady who was, like, all up, like, on me because it was, like, bleacher seating and it was super cramped. But other than that, it was a pretty fun game. Yeah, and again, to me, you know, when you have, let's say, fifty to 70,000 fans at an event, you know, the numbers might show that there's going to be some kind of a physical activity just based on the numbers and the way life goes. Uh, I think just at a sporting event, and again, I'm not trying to single out football, even though I guess I am. I think the tailgating goes on more in football than any other sport. Uh, I don't think it's maybe even close. You do it in maybe other sports, but not to the extent that it's, you know, it's a regular and half the fun, if not more for some people, is the tailgating, which means you're probably going to be drinking. And, you know, you can do it in the arena, too. I mean, it, that people drink inside stadiums and arenas as well. You know, it's a lot more expensive. Uh, but that the kind of stuff happens. And I know I mentioned this earlier. Did you ever, did you see that uh, tape of the hockey fans in Arizona last Saturday? Because it was kind of on social media tape, a lot. I didn't see the but I heard about it. I mean, it was one of the worst fan fights I've ever seen. I'm not trying to promote it, of course, but it went on for a while, and there were people di- diving over seats. What I understand, um, it started off, they're playing in Phoenix, or I guess on the outside of Phoenix, Arizona, in a small arena. They're getting a new arena for the Arizona Coyotes, so they're playing in a 5,000-seat arena for the next three years. So it's really small, but um, somebody threw a drink at a guy wearing an other team's jersey, and that started it. Then a lady got involved, and she got hit by a fan for apparently no reason except that she was wearing the other team's jersey, and then all heck broke loose. And that, that's It's hard to watch those things. So, uh, again, I'm wondering if anybody had any really bad experiences or thoughts on that. Again, the Draymond Green story is what reminded me of some of the fan behavior and how bad it can be at times. Okay, the Lakers. Again, we talked about them a few minutes ago. We're going to have uh, Trevor Lane join us in just a few minutes as well. They are playing better than though. I think they had a four- or five-game winning streak up until a, week, a little over a week ago. Had some tough games in a Philly game. It looks like they made a great comeback, just like they did last night. And I think they're getting closer to where they want to be, but not quite there yet. No. And when I'm looking at the Lakers, you and I'm looking at the standings right now, there are 12 seeds in that 11-16, tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and sitting right under the Timberwolves. I mean, so far, this is obviously a disappointment of a season for the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm going to share a sentiment that Charles Barkley shared last night on Inside the NBA. Um, it feels like a conspiracy that we seem to watch L.A. Lakers on the na- on national TV so many times this season already. And like what Chuck said, we never really follow a 12 seed this much. And when you look at it, look at the their corresponding team in the other uh, conference, the Washington Wizards, who hold an 11 and 17 record very similar has almost zero coverage you look around the teams around them like the thunder the timberwolves heck the clippers are the 6 seed 16 and 13 and i doubt you can tell me much about how this season so far has gone for the clippers because they have not had the national television that's on them as the los angeles lakers do especially right. in that early part of the season where all they could do was lose and not find a way to win. So I, it's not to that point of near the back end of last season where I just don't want to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers anymore. But so far this season, I feel like that point is getting closer because as great as Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James have been, they haven't been good enough to even crack being close 
to the play-in tournament, of which <laughs> the 10th seed Golden State Warriors are 14-14 and 14 this year, three games ahead of the Lakers, or I guess in win columns. They're also two games two ahead of them. Two and a half total now. Two, two and a half? half total. Oh, four yeah. and a half. They're four and a half games ahead of them, according to ESPN. So. Uh, no, it's, no. it'd be two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. I can't do math. I see a number. I couldn't either. I, I see just a number, and back. I just yeah. read it out. It's 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. But, look, we the, the eighth seed is the Utah Jazz. They're eventually going to be coming down to earth, and who knows, maybe that's the way the Lakers get in. But right now, if LeBron, AD, and Westbrook are already playing at this high of a level and they can't even touch the playing tournament, I'd be worried if I was a Lakers fan. Yeah, I know Draymond Green had an interesting comment the other day. He said he's never going to count them out as long as LeBron is on that team. I know uh, LeBron and Draymond, I think, have the same agent, and they they get along pretty well off the court and even on the court, I guess. Where you know, you know, the when the 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 groin deal happened in the finals, and I forget what year it was twenty. 15 maybe uh i don't know if they were good friends then but i i understand his point I'm, i wouldn't count them out necessarily even though they're a long ways away when you have that kind of talent if they get in i don't think they'd be an opponent you necessarily want to play but they still aren't a complete team and that's what they need to get they have their big three and maybe westbrook isn't the big three like he might have been but he's actually having a good year overall we're going to find out more about him as i said because coming up after this break trevor lane will be joining us and he will give us the latest on what's going on in la la land the lakers are the topic coming up next here on espn honolulu Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here on this Wednesday morning on ESPN Honolulu. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to have Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation joining us in just a few minutes to talk about the Lake Show, the Lake Show, and how they are doing and what might be ahead for them uh, on the court and maybe with some possible trades. We hear the rumors all the time. Later on this hour, we will have some Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic tickets to give out. I got a pair for an entire day. And remember, it's a three day tournament, the 22nd, 23rd, and and 25th Christmas Day, and you get four games in one day. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love this tournament. It's just something I really look forward to, and I know it's hard for some people because it's at Christmas, especially for the final, but it's just so something if you're a basketball fan, uh, you will love it. So we'll give out some tickets to that coming up. Right now, though, we're going to talk some Lakers basketball as we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. He's a host at the Lakers Nation Show. You can check that out on YouTube. Also, the front office show with Keith Smith, who has been on our show. You can check that out as well. Trevor Lane joining us. Trevor, thanks for joining us. And I see the headline for yesterday's game at Lakers Nation, where the title is Lakers Collapse Late Again, Giveaway Game to Celtics. That was a really fun game to watch. I'm sure it was a lot more fun if you were a Celtics fan because they won the game. But it was even, you know, they lost. The Lakers had an amazing comeback in that second half. Yeah, they did. the The comeback was incredible. Um, you, saw, you know, the Celtics side they were kicking themselves for allowing the Lakers to get back into this game. But yeah, the Lakers even got up to a thirteen point lead at one point with about four minutes to play, and then everything just fell apart from there. They wound up going into overtime and, and losing. But uh, it, it was certainly an exciting game to watch, but frustrating if you were a Lakers fan with the uh, with the end results when it felt like they were going to have a big uplifting win uh, on on their schedule right there. 
Yeah, for as down as they were in that game, to come back and have that lead, a double-figure lead of four and a half minutes left or so is, is pretty amazing. And I, I know you don't lose a game because of one play, but I, I want to just ask your thoughts on Anthony Davis, who brought it up after the game, where he missed a free throw late yesterday that could have given them the win, and he also missed a free throw with about seven or even less less than seven seconds left Friday in Philadelphia, made one out of two, and they might have won in regulation. Still, he's on an incredible tear, but I know he was down on himself for those missed free throws yeah absolutely he's been he's been great uh he's been one of their better free throw shooter shooters which is the irony has been over 80 percent from the free throw line so it's not like that's not the guy that you would want shooting free throws he just he missed one against the 76ers that would have prevented the game from going in overtime would have won the game and then if he, if he had just made one of the two uh in last night's game against the celtics well, who knows boston probably would have tried for a three but uh but had the opportunity to essentially put the game away and miss them both he was uh, pretty hard on himself after the game because of that, and uh, and it was hard for him to look past that, which is understandable. You're going to feel bad when you've missed free throws uh, in, in crunch time and then your team goes on to lose the game. So he's frustrated with himself, and we'll see if, if mentally he can overcome that next time that situation comes up because that's really what it is. You know he's a, a good free throw shooter. It's just the mental hurdle of getting over the uh, the crunch time jitters or, or whatever it was that was hitting him there. They had a tough start, the Lakers did, but then they had that nice stretch, and this was kind of uh, coincided with Anthony Davis's stretch where I think they won four or five in a row, and I think they are playing better basketball overall, especially considering the start. Where do you see them right now? They do have an 11-16 and 16 record, but it seems like, the, again, really competitive against two of the better teams in the East, and Boston and Philly could have won both of those games. Where do you see them right now as far as how they have played so far? Yeah, I think they're definitely playing better basketball. They've missed out on a lot of opportunities. The West is super compact in terms of the, the standings, so they've got a, an opportunity to move up, and they just can't quite seem to get over the hump here and, and go on a prolonged stretch. Um, you know, they've given away essentially three games so far this season with the Indiana game, the 76ers game, and then last night now against Boston. You flip through those three games, and they've got actually a winning record, and they're a playing team right now, and and things are even you know, looking better. But they are playing improved basketball compared to what we saw at the beginning of the season. Now it's just a question of can they play well enough to dig themselves out of the hole that they, they put themselves in with their opening stretch. Um, and then that, that will also naturally lead you to the trade front. Is there something that they're going to do to improve the team and give them that little extra boost to get over the hump? And we'll see. That's going to be on Rob Palenka in the front office. And I'm going to get into that more in a minute as we're talking Lakers basketball. Trevor Lane is joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. A great follow on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. He's with Lakers Nation in the front office show. Uh, Russell Westbrook, from his first game as a Laker last year, was kind of the poster child for their lack of success, and everybody was quick to blame him. I was quick to blame him as well, and I would check his numbers out very closely. Last year, he had a little bit of the turnover problem and shooting problem, more than a little bit. Got a little better at the end of the year, and actually got pretty good numbers for a guy that was blamed a lot at good numbers. I think he's playing much better this year, even though he's coming off the bench. Last night, 14 rebounds as well as those 20 points, 5 assists, and he's only turned the ball over twice, and he's done a much better job, I think, in every every area in your opinion has he improved has he done what's expected of him yeah russ russ has done what's expected of him we saw last night uh, some uh, some of last season reared its, its ugly head in terms of taking pull-up jumpers 15 foot jumpers which is not the shot you ever want to see him taking particularly when there's plenty of time left on the shot clock so there was there were some issues with the decision making last night but overall you have to give russ a lot of credit for adapting 
to coming off the bench, playing well in that in that role, diminished minutes typically. Last night that wasn't the case, but most games he's been playing a little bit less minutes than we've seen uh, last season and certainly in, in his history. And he's really accepted that role and thrived in that role, and I think that he's going to extend his overall NBA career because of his ability to now come off the bench and be a factor. And frankly, his playmaking has been really important for the Lakers this season. You know, you can still be concerned about the shooting percentages. You can still be concerned about some defensive lapses and things of that nature. But he's also been a playmaker for the Lakers on a team that, when LeBron is off the floor, hasn't had enough of that. And so you got to give him a lot of credit. And uh, hopefully he's able to keep it up because he's been a major positive factor, I think, for the team this season. And I kind of feel bad with all the scrutiny he's been under. And some people say, well, he makes all that money. It's okay. But I think a lot of it was undeserved. When they traded for Patrick Beverly, I thought it was a pretty good move because of his defensive uh, presence. I mean, I thought he's, I think he's the best defensive point guard in the league. Not much on offense, of course, even though he's actually a three-point, a good three-point shooter percentage-wise, especially last year. But I keep reading his name is being mentioned in trade rumors and trade proposals. Is that accurate? And has he played up to what they expected of him? Yeah, that, that's definitely accurate. I would say he hasn't played up to what the expectation, because the shooting percentages have been very poor this year, um, he hasn't lived up to the three-point shoot. Now, he did knock in a couple last night against the Celtics, and that was good to see. Maybe he eventually comes back around. But so far, his three-point percentage has been tough. Uh, he missed two, late, two wide-open layups uh, in last night's game. Just offensively, it's been kind of a mess. And that's been holding the, his overall production back. Defensively, he's actually been really good. Um, and the Lakers' defensive rating goes up whenever he's on the floor. So he's been as advertised there, but he's been, he hasn't been able to get the credit he deserves for it because the offensive production has basically outweighed all the stuff that he's done defensively. Um, the reason why he's on the, the trade block, though, it's not just the situation going on with, with his numbers or anything like that. It's also just the fact that he's a $13 million expiring contract. Mm. So some of that is just, just logistics, just in order to make a trade work. It's kind of like Taylor Horton Tucker was for last year, where it's not so much that the Lakers are, are desperate to trade the guy or anything like that. Just if you're going to make a move, that's a contract that's most likely going to have to be involved. They don't have many players in that 10 to 15 million range, which are really important salary sizes if you're going to try to make any kind of a significant move. So if it's not going to be a Russell Westbrook trade, it almost has to be a Patrick Beverly trade by, by default because he's the only other salary, aside from LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's sizable enough to get something significant done. What do you think is the most likely trade that could occur? I mean, a few months ago, and it was going for a while, Buddy Heald, maybe Miles Turner. Now I'm seeing Jay Crowder, who hasn't played this year. That might have been a three-team trade. I think that might have been a good pickup. But what, what do you hear about the most likely trade? Yeah, we were. I mean, they were really close um, right before the season started to doing a deal for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. They, could, they had the option, from what we've heard, to do that trade and decided not to. But... Uh, at this point, what we've heard is that they are looking for three-point shooting, which is something that they, they should be looking for, and size on the wings, which is, is another thing that they absolutely need. They've been undersized for the entire season so far. Uh, when you're looking around the league, Jay Crowder makes some sense, but you have to be a three-team trade because I don't think the Lakers have anything they can send over to Phoenix that, um, that they would want in that situation. And then you've got a few other players. William Bogdanovich is a name that's come up recently mm. for the Pistons. He actually dro- just dropped 38 on the Lakers the other night tremendous shooter the Pistons signed him to a contract extension so he now has this year and one more year under contract and then a partially guaranteed third year on his deal he'd be a really nice pickup depending on the price 
The challenge for the Lakers, though, is there's going to be a lot of teams looking to add firepower, um, given how compact everything is in the Western Conference, feeling like they're right there. So I think it's going to be a bit of a seller's market, which may make it tough for the Lakers to find the right deal using, say, Patrick Beverly's salary, Kendrick Nunn, and then future draft capital. But we'll see what they can get done here. One thing you said earlier is so true. A lot of things you said, of course, is true. But the parity in the West, I mean, there's so many teams right now that are competing for those playoff spots. It's going to be a fun second half of the year. It's going to be fun as Christmas Day is coming up, and those always have some great games with the NBA teams. Trevor, always enjoy talking Lakers basketball with you. We'll keep following them and see how this season develops. Uh, Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you. We'll talk again soon. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you. Trevor Lane, he is the host at Lakers Nation. You can check it out, LakersNation.com or the Lakers Nation show on YouTube. Also, the front office show, he works with Keith Smith, who's out of Boston, and they go over a lot of transaction, contract, salary cap deals as well. Joining us here on ESPN, Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia. You know a guy. Uh, Tanner and I will be back. I want to talk a little bit more about basketball. I want to bring back uh, some of the really interesting uh uh, sentiments and quotes attributed to Mike Leach, who passed away. Yes, I got a couple of good ones I want to get into. All ahead on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM at 1420 AM. Gary Dickman with Tanner Hayworth here with the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. We'll do some ticket giveaways coming up early in the 7 o'clock hour. Don't really have time to get that done right now, but we will do it coming up real soon for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic first, and then Easy Post Hawaii Bowl in the 8 o'clock hour. So we know, I mean, the sad passing of Mike Leach, and it was really, really interesting, and I'm glad to hear a lot of coaches tell such fond stories about Mike Leach in the last 24 hours or so, some great ones. Here's one I saw online last night, a uh, pretty cool quote, oh, story here from uh, front office loss, loss Medina, Medina, excuse me, and it says here, this is the story it says, one time Mike Leach told one of his players that he wasn't going to play, probably at all, but that he'd like him to start coaching as a student assistant. The kid got really mad and left his office, came back the next day and took the job. That guy was Lincoln Riley. (laughs) The influence that Mike Leach had on so many coaches. I mean, I just reading them all yesterday, seeing them on SportsCenter last night. I know they had a special, I think, on the SEC channel, but I I didn't realize that Lincoln Riley, I guess, got his start under Mike Leach. That was pretty interesting, Tanner, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great, I think someone called it, it's not like a coaching tree, it's it's more of a sequoia than anything else (laughs) with when you're talking about uh, Mike Leach, but... He's had a lot of really amazing stories. There's that one story of when he was a coordinator and he created a fake uh, play script and dropped it in front of the Texas like sidelines, had a GA pick it up, and then a GA took it up and up until it got to the defensive coordinator. And it was just like, well, who would do this? There's no way that they would just make a whole fake play script and just give it to us to fake us out. That's exactly what Mike Leach did. So I think it's he's he's a unique character. He's a unique person. And, uh, you know, 
I'm just glad that we got to experience him. Yeah, seeing some of the tapes and the interviews and some of his comments and the topics he was he always covered were just, you know, just brought back so many fond memories and still really sad and tragic, of course. Uh, but a lot of people having a lot of great things to say about Mike Leach. And, yeah, I really in, enjoyed him. And I saw, saw a picture of when June Jones and the guy that usually goes to Samoa after the season. Well, they did that several years in a row. Tanavasa was with him, Jesse Sapolu, and Mike Leach was on one of those trips. That was a cool picture seeing that yesterday as well. Well, we're going to wrap up this hour. We'll take you uh, to a little break and get you caught up with traffic, which I know is important. Hopefully it won't be too bad today with school out for you, Age. Uh, we have a giveaway coming up next hour. Also, Laura Beeman will join us in about 35 minutes as well to talk Rainbow Wahine basketball. All ahead, this is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN. Honolulu. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayward, this is the Bobby Curran Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Your calls and texts are certainly welcome at 808-296-1420. We'd love to hear from you. And coming up in an hour from now, our final edition for 2022 of the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. So stay tuned for that. And Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com will be our expert guest. Uh, we had him on last week, and he uh, will end the season as well. So if you need help, if you're in the playoffs, uh, like Tanner and I, and a lot of people. I know a few people who are out already, but he will give you hopefully helpful advice for this weekend. Uh, let's talk about some of the headlines going on. In the first one, we mentioned in the first hour a little bit, but Carlos Correa, now a San Francisco Giant, the all-star shortstop, uh, signed a 13-year, $350 million contract at 28 years old. He's had a great career so far. He's been in the majors for eight years, won a World Series with the Astros. I also have a feeling that now that he's in the NL West, where the Giants are playing, of course. They also play the Dodgers a lot, and I'm not sure how the Dodgers fans will treat him like they treat a lot of former or current Houston Astros, but I imagine that might not be a friendly environment. But for the Giants, they are a better team today than they were two days ago. Of course, and I think with Correa, it does add you know something that you need for this Giants team. I feel like when you look to the Giants last year, they were very, you know, underwhelming, and... I think adding a guy like Correa can help you both, you know, as a shortstop, obviously, and also, you know, with the bats as well. So it's true. You don't get judge, and that's a little bit sad. But I think you get a guy that, you know, obviously won't hit for a home run record like Aaron Judge did last year. But I think he will provide ample support for the Giants fans as they look to recapture some of that magic from two years ago. Some people have said he's the best defensive shortstop in in major leagues, and there's a few really good ones. Well, there's a lot of good ones. There's a few great ones, and I, I'm not sure how I would rank him. I haven't seen enough of him, especially last year with Minnesota, but that is something I think that's not surprising to hear that he's among the best, if not the best, and he's still a good hitter. Shortstops aren't usually power hitters. He's the tallest shortstop, I believe, in the majors at 6'4", and number one, former number one overall pick by the Astros way back when, but I believe he had 22 homers last year after a slow start. He actually had a really good season for them afterwards. Our second headline, and I, I just we just heard this about maybe in the last hour, Tanner alerted me that Amber Igidi has been named a third-team All-American from the University of Hawaii Rainbow Wahine volleyball team. I, again, I don't know about enough about the other players in the country. I just know that she's had an unbelievable season again, and I was really curious if she would be acknowledged that way, uh, at least on a second or third team, and I'm glad she got third-team All-American. That's great for Amber. Yeah, I think I, if I'm remembering uh, correctly from our own 
Tiff Wells, who tweeted this out. He had, this is the first time since Emily, uh, uh, since a what's it called? Since 2017, where uh, we've had a player named to the All American team. So proud of Amber Iagidi. Uh, obviously, the field is only getting tougher and tougher and tougher as right. the years go on for women's volleyball. Uh, but you know, proud of her, and hopefully, you know, next year feels like a lot of a big payoff year as a lot of our uh, players, you know, make their way to that last year of eligibility. So hopefully we it does pay off in the end for us next season. Yeah, what a great year. And I'm glad, I mean, she won so many awards, Big West Player of the Year, of course, and so many other, uh, the yeah, the Pacific North region. She was an all-first teamer. We heard that last week. So the, the accolades come in more and more and well-deserved for Amber. Congratulations. We have had her on our show a couple of times in the last few months, so we uh, feel like we're really close to her. And I think a lot of fans are appreciative of what she has done for this team over the years. Third headline, and I'm not sure if you guys talked about it in the afternoon yesterday, Tim, you and Josh, but... I've seen a lot of this overnight. I just started following up early this morning, but there's a lot of headlines and articles, and here's one where the title is Falcons quarterback Marcus Mariota leaves team due to demotion. Now, we heard last week he was going to be replaced by uh, uh, Riddler, uh, uh, the Desmond Ritter, Ritter of Cincinnati, the rookie. And it was announced yesterday, I guess officially, even though it was weird because we heard it last week, and I thought that was official. But there's a whole bunch of articles where they say he left the team because he was demoted, and what a poor sport, you know, word to that effect. There's another thing I see, another article, and I'm stunned to see this headline. It says, where does Marcus Mariota rank among the biggest NFL quitters of all time? By a guy named Adam Beasley for, I'm trying to get the exact site, it looks like college, well, not the College Football Network, but it's a Pro Football Network, and also it's a College Football Network, and there's a whole article on Twitter. I'll get to some of the other alleged quitters. Did you hear about all these uh, allegations, I guess, about Marcus leaving the team tenor? Um, I think I had heard about it. Me and Josh did talk about it yesterday a little bit. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of people jumping to conclusions right now for what we know. Marcus was there for the birth of his, uh, new daughter, uh, yesterday as well. Uh, that could have been a part of it. What also could be a part of it is all the reports that are actually coming out as of, you know, only 15, 20, 30 minutes ago where Marcus Mariota will have knee surgery and is headed to injured reserve. Right. So and if he does that, he misses four games and that's all they have left. So right. that would be a reason not to be with the team. So I'm, and according to Arthur Smith, he says, I'm not a medical expert. I'm just telling you it had nothing to do with the decision. So I'm just saying right now, I think there's a lot of people really, really overthinking about this. And I'd also like to say, if you were a starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, I don't know why this... I mean, yeah, sure, you're one game away from the playoffs, but if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, I would want to make sure that I am as far away from the playoffs as possible because I want a good draft pick for next year, right? Right, right. So all this talk about quitting and Marcus, I just don't see that because that's just not who he is. Because that's never been who he's who not, he's not even been. Close to that, he's all dealt with injuries his entire career in the NFL, and now it's another leg injury for him. Something that he's been dealing with the last couple of years. I think these are just a lot of insecure fans that think that you know that they should uh, that they know a lot more than other people. 
you know, much to the same avail of guys who throw popcorn on the NBA guys as they're walking out of the but these are writers, though, too, besides the fans. I mean, these are writers all around the country, and I've seen like five, six, seven headlines about this, and that bothers me. I think it bothers a lot of people because, again, that's not, like you said, that's not who Marcus is at all. He's, he's perfect, I mean, always a team player. And to say this about it, again, the birth of his uh, first child, oh, yeah, that might be a reason you're hurt. You're not going to play. You're not going to play for the rest of the season. You're having a baby. I, I would think, again, I think that's really deceiving the public when it's not really mentioned. It's mentioned briefly in one of the articles, but it's not mentioned in the others. So to say that he quit the team, wow, that's really that's a really harsh thing to say. And I've learned that from coaches over the years. The worst thing you can say about a player is that they quit. You know, they didn't play hard. Either or is the worst thing you can think. You say they're not good or they lost a game, but to say they didn't play hard or give it their all and quit is really, really terrible, a terrible thing to attribute to somebody. And to say this about Marcus, wow, I was real, again, I was really surprised to see that many articles saying this. I mean, it just, I, I just don't, I don't get that. I'm not sure why people just maybe clickbait and just trying to get clicks, I guess, is part of it. Yeah, if I were Marcus, I wouldn't want to be on the Atlanta Falcons either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I, want to be playing for Arthur Smith either. What a great offense he's running down there. Yeah, I mean, Marcus hasn't had a great year. I mean, one of the things I'm reading is that he hasn't broken 200 yards in 10 of the games he's played this year. Okay, that's but it's partly the offense that's also – and it's not, he's not calling the plays. And it might audible here and there, but he's not the one who's deciding to throw 18 times a game. The one week, and I think you brought it up the other day, Tanner, the one week he was named NFC Offensive Player of the Week, that was something where he was like 13 of 14 or something like that that week, which is a great percentage. But it wasn't like he threw a ton of passes. That's not his fault. That's the play calling. That's the talent around him. Uh, again, is he, is he a Pro Bowl player right now? No. Uh, was he good enough to help them get some of those wins, even though he threw interceptions? Yeah, again, he's not having a great year, but he's having a good year. But that's one thing you can debate on, how good he might be or how better he should be or whatever. But to say that he quit the team because he's not in the building, wow, that's that's – I, I, I wish there was some uh, you know further updates on this to maybe acknowledge that they were wrong. Because, again, if he's on IR, how many players are going to be with the team? And I know I saw Matthew Stafford on the sidelines last week for the Rams. I didn't see Cooper Cup. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. A lot of players Cooper that are Cup out on for a significant amount of time, they're, they're not with the team day in, day out. Cooper Cup was on the sidelines. He was? Okay. Yes. But you know what I mean about that. There's not, not every player will travel with the team, will be with the team if they're injured. And, you know, Marcus is hurt. I, I, I would never expect that to be true, that he left the team because he was demoted. That, I just, I can't, I can't see that as being accurate at all. Yeah, and I, I think there's two guys that I feel bad for. It's him and Desmond Ritter. Because now there's just going to be this yeah. weird drama about this over a team that doesn't deserve much national recognition past, uh, oh, this team might draft high next year, in my opinion. Yeah, that's, that's what just, it should be. Yeah. That's what the national uh, look on the Atlanta Falcons should be this year is that, hey, that's what it should have been this year. Hey, this team isn't that good. Maybe they'll get a good draft pick this year. Not all this Marcus Mariota is quitting and all this stuff. I think that's – you're just – if you're a journalist, you know, running on that, you're running on assumptions. That's a column, and don't call it fact and all that stuff. It's just – it's despicable in my opinion. 
It, it really is, and it's not just because we're Marcus fans. We are. We don't hide that. It's just it's just inaccurate. I mean, I, I know. Again, I know people will write headlines and stories just to get people to click on uh, their site or whatever. But this is so many of them. Maybe somebody heard it and ran with it, trying to be another person with a catchy headline or story that will you know grab people's attention. The one article I just want to read the first line or two where it says, "Where does Marcus Mariota rank among?" among the biggest NFL quitters of all time from the ProFootballNetwork.com. And uh, the first couple of sentences are, Marcus effectively took the ball and went home during the Atlanta Falcons bye week. After learning that he'd been benched for Desmond Ritter, Mariota, to put it as kindly as possible, stepped away from the team. In a sport built on toughness, tenacity, tenacity, teamwork, quitting is a cardinal sin. So where does Mariota fall on the biggest quitters of all time? Uh, and they have Antonio Brown is I think the first on this list. Yeah, he is first on this list. Ricky Williams of Miami. By the way, Bobby Gary, Petrino of Gary, Atlanta. Yeah, what you're doing right now is exactly what we are just talking about. Where they want us to click on these lists to read them. Yeah, so, I'm not going to go through I'll, the whole that's all list. I'm saying. But it's true. I'm I if we want to talk about you know not giving these guys the day of light and start reading their articles, I don't want to start doing that. So well, I, I think wanna... I that's that's all, that I'm just want to point that out. Okay, well, I just want to point out how wrong they are. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, Bobby Petrino, I would agree, is a quitter, but wow, I, I was really, really harsh. And I saw some of the texts coming in yesterday afternoon. That's why I thought maybe you guys were talking about it, but uh, I don't think that could be further from the truth. I mean, how many players? I mean, there's, there's a, one of the um, Royce O'Neal for the Brooklyn Nets has been st- stepped away from the team. He's missed the last two games because of personal reasons. That happens all the time, whether you're um, there for the birth of a child. Unfortunately, if it's a health situation, a death in the family, that people step away. Uh, Marcus is not going to play. If he's on IR, he can't play. So if he's got a birth of his child, which he does, uh, why would he need to be there? And I mean, let's, let's see if he's there for the rest of the season. I have a feeling, just what I know about Marcus, that if he is gone, indeed gone, and it is for the birth of a child, he'll probably be back with the team just for support and rehab or whatever it is in a week or two, whatever day it might be. So, yeah, that's really, really cruel and really critical. And, again, from where we stand, pretty inaccurate to say something like that. And it sounds like to me that the Atlanta Falcons quit on Marcus Mariota. Yeah, it's one way of looking at it. I mean, I can't fault them. And Arthur Smith, I think, in one of the articles does say this was based on performance, this demotion. And, you know, that, okay, that's, that's that's harsh in a way, but that's that's true, I guess. He had three or whatever what was bad games in a row. You know, but other quarterbacks will do that. I mean, Zach Wilson had a lot of bad games worse than Marcus. He took him a long time to get benched. And there's other quarterbacks that go through that. But, again, if you want to demote him, I mean, that happened. You know, players do get benched. And, again, Ritter could be their future. We have talked about it numerous times, you, you and I and Chris, that, you know, if they are out of the playoff, maybe it's time to look at Ritter to see if he could be their answer or their future or do they need to draft the quarterback next year. And so there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, Mariota is not going to be there in four or five years, even if they went to the playoffs this year, all things being equal. We know he's not the long-term answer there. But, you know, he, he got a shot. You know, they were short a couple of guys. You know, some guys were hurt. Calvin Ridley suspended. So, I mean, they still have some good players than Drake London, Kyle Pitts, who is one of the guys who is hurt. It's just, you know, again, you can, you can debate and, and say you don't think he had a good year. But don't say that he quit on the team. That again, that I can't get over that. That's really, really wrong. I'm not sure if everybody's aware of that. But before I mention this, but I think a lot of people will be upset with the people who wrote those articles about that. And I don't think it could be further from the truth. We're going to have a, a giveaway coming up, 
in just a minute or two as we take this break. If you would like to win a pair of tickets for the Hawaiian Airline Diamond Head Classic coming up next week, you get a full day pass, four games in one day. Give us a call at 808-296-1420. I will ask the same question that I asked yesterday that one person called. Didn't get it right, but here it is. I'll give it to you now. Name either one of the starting guards for the University of Hawaii men's basketball team. Give us a call. You get it right. Those tickets are yours, and we'll do that next, coming up on ESPN Honolulu. Hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting a tingling too. It is time to make you a winner. We've got a couple more giveaways in the 8 o'clock hour, but right now a pair of tickets to the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. And we've got an easy, hopefully easy, basketball trivia question for UH men's basketball's team, although I thought it was easy yesterday and didn't work out, but today hopefully it will as we are joined here at 808-296-1420 by Matt. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Hi, Gary. Did you uh, hear the question that I mentioned about UH basketball? Yes, I did. Okay, can you give me the name of either one of the starting guards for this year's team? Yes, uh, Noel Coleman. Noel Coleman is good enough. The other one is Jovan McClanahan, of course, but you only needed one. You got it. Congratulations, Matt. You're going to the Hawaiian Airlines Thank Diamond you. Head Classic. Thank you. All right. Congratulations. Hang on. Tanner will get some, infra- some information from you and tell you how to pick up your prize. Good job there. 808-296-1420 is the number. And uh, we got a text on the topic we were talking about with Marcus Mariota. And uh, this is from, I guess, Umpire Eddie. And it says, if you or people in general didn't know Marcus Mariota was a bridge quarterback, then you, people in general, would should, uh, should look more into what the Falcons were really doing. Well, I think we knew right away. I mean, they gave him what the one-year deal with a one-year option. It might have been a two-year deal overall, but there's an opt-out, I know. And uh, it looks like he might not be there this year as of now, but who knows what the future holds yet. Uh, we knew he wasn't going to be the long-term answer there. <laughs> Even though I think he had the chance to be. Desmond Ritter was not a first-round draft pick, had a really good season at Cincinnati, and he hasn't played. I don't think he's played a minute yet. I know he hasn't started a game. Uh, we'll see how he does, and I guess he was probably in some a couple of plays here and there. Uh, but they still might draft the quarterback. Todd McShay has his early mock draft for 2023, and he has them drafting, I believe it was C.J. Stroud. I'll double-check the draft. We'll go over some of the top picks in a few minutes. But when you look at Mariota, we knew what – they were. They knew what they were getting, and again, even in Las Vegas, beginning of the year, Atlanta was projected to win two games. They've surpassed that. That division is so weak that they're still in the playoff hunt. And in fact, one of the cool things I saw this online, and you look at the standing, how this could end up this weekend in the NFL. In the NFL, uh, specifically the NFC South. If Tampa Bay loses this week and they are playing Cincinnati at home, they will be six and eight. Atlanta and Carolina, if they win, Atlanta's at New Orleans, definitely could be a win for them. Carolina, which might be the biggest surprise in the division, they're hosting the Steelers. If Carolina, Atlanta win, Tampa loses, all three teams are 6-8 and eight with three games left. That's going to be a crazy last three weeks of the season. I don't have all the, those three teams scheduled in front of me yet, but I can look them up. But I don't know who's going to win that. I keep thinking Tampa Bay is going to win that division, mainly because of a man named Brady. 
but they just haven't really gotten over that hump where they're the Tampa Bay Bucks that we knew and that Tanner loved. <laughs> uh, and a lot of it is injury. I don't think, again, you really can't blame Brady. He's still having a really good year overall. Uh, Mike Evans, I saw this the other day, and this was kind of a fantasy thing, and I know Tanner's a Tampa Bay fan. He might know this anyway. Mike Evans hasn't caught a touchdown pass since week four. He hasn't. He's averaging 11 fantasy points a week, and he hasn't gotten over 11 in the last eight weeks. That's crazy. I mean, he hasn't had a touchdown in nine games. I don't know how you explain it. I know he got suspended, I believe, for one. But still, that's a really amazing number or a lack of numbers for Mike Evans that just points out one of the reasons why they've struggled this year. But they, somebody's going to win that division by default. I think that's the best way to put it because nobody's going to really earn it, I don't think. But it could be a three-way tie for first place. And even New Orleans, I mean, they, right now they're two games out of first, and they are in last place. I don't know if they're going to be able to make it in, but Carolina Atlanta have a good chance to win. And, of course, it'll be with Desmond Ritter. So we'll see if Desmond Ritter can lead Atlanta to maybe a playoff run. Uh, I, I still would pick Tampa to win that division, but it's crazy to think that both, all three of those teams could be tied as of Sunday. Well, if I had to look at Tampa Bay right now, I'd, I would say their one main issue right now is their lack of a rushing offense right now. Leonard Fournette is not looking like the guy. I mean, he had a he's good in the playoffs, but once it comes to regular season, it's just not working out. Sure, there is also a lot of injuries to that offensive line right. where you lose Ryan Jensen uh, be, before the season even started to a broken leg. You lose your two starting guards from last season, Ali Marpet to retirement, and the other one that went to uh, the Bengals, who we'll get to see uh, this week. And then you also lose a bunch of your depth guys, as well as um, Tristan Wirfs being in and out with right. injuries all season. So right now that offensive line is struggling, but I wouldn't necessarily make it like this huge issue that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be facing for a long time. Maybe that's an issue that you fix in the draft where you get a guard or a tackle kind of round in the middle of the draft where they're projected to be. Um, because I don't think Tom Brady's going to be back next year. I'm more excited to see what the offense can do past Tom Brady if we can elevate past that if Byron Leftwich decides to stay or not or become a head coach. Um, right now, that injuries to the secondary. I mean, it's not a great year for the uh, training staff for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Either or it's a great year because they get a lot of action. But, yeah, um, earning their yeah, money. If all, the, if all the ties, if all those uh, ties happen, like you say, that if that's possible where there's that three-way division tie, I think, I'd actually have to check this because then that would make both Tampa Bay and Carolina because they both have the um, division lead with both of them being 3-1 and one in the division. Against the division, And okay. that lead would actually go to the Panthers because they have the uh, – <laughs> they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 21-3 to back in October. Can you imagine if Carolina won that division? After what they've been through and who they and Sam Darnold, I'd really of like all to, people is the I'd guy really, leading them there. I'd really like to not imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd uh, like to. Yeah. The two things I don't want to imagine is an interim head coach coming in and doing the work. The other thing I don't want to imagine 
is Sam Darnold doing it to us? So he's two and zero, I guess, as a starter. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't happen by the time we play him again in the penultimate week of the season. But you lose Christian McCaffrey. We don't really lose him. You trade him, of course. You lose your head coach. And they Matt seem to Rule. be doing just fine without them. I I know that's the thing that's weird. <laughs> they're actually they're actually playing better as a team overall since the firing and the trade. The defense Robbie has Anderson stepped up gets a traded. lot too, as well, because with I think last week J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson who were both, you know, first-round guys. Last year, J.C. Horn only played for about four weeks back when they were undefeated last year. Uh, Carolina Panthers, I, I loved J.C. Horn coming out of the draft last sure. season. Um, and so seeing him, you know, kind of slowly get back into it after that foot fracture last year is awesome. And then C.J. Henderson getting a little bit of um, redemption for his time with the Jacksonville Jaguars where he was simply seen as an okay guy. Him getting an interception, I think they're seeing a lot of work get done on the. I mean, when you look at that defense, there's a lot of really great pieces. Like I said, Henderson, J.C. Horn, you have Brian Burns still on that defensive line. Um, is Shaq Thompson still there? I don't know. I if feel he's still like there he is. Not. I don't Could think. Be. I don't. I don't know. But um, and then there's a lot of other guys on that team that you just that we don't know the names of just because the Panthers just aren't that good on offense. So. I think this is going to be a team to be looking at in the future to see who they get as that head coach next season and seeing what they can do to develop this team, maybe draft a good quarterback uh, to help develop that offense. Which leads me to this. Before we go to break, we're going to have Laura Beeman join us in a few minutes. There's another article I saw, and this is from Fan Sided, and the headline there is Tom Brady could jump ship to join NFC South rival next year. And the team they're talking about is New Orleans. And the reason they're mentioning it, well, they do have quarterback concerns, of course. Tom Brady is an unrestricted free agent if he was, if he does want to continue playing. But the, the article in, uh, insinuates that Sean Payton has told people he plans on being a head coach next year. And according to some people in the NFL, the most likely scenario is him going to New Orleans, which is really weird. Uh, this, this, here's a quote from Jeff Duncan. Uh, he said, people from the New Orleans newspaper, there people close to Sean Payton think he's going to coach next year. I asked one of them to rank where he'd most likely coach, and they listed the Saints as number one. I mean, they're going to fire Dennis Allen after one year? That would be kind of weird, and I mean, for Sean Payton to replace the guy who replaced him, if it does happen, again, this is just one guy's opinion, but he's talking to people. Tom Brady and Sean Payton share the same agent, Don Yee. So that might be, a, I mean, you can understand where those conversations going back and forth. I, 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 don't, I don't, I mean, I, you know, you think about Brady and the divorce and everything and the team struggling and people like myself and maybe others think, oh, this has got to be his last year. He's not going to play anymore. Then you look at his numbers, they're still pretty good. It's not like he should retire because his numbers are gone down that much. They might not be as great as they were when he was winning Super Bowl, but they're still really good and probably Easily, not to say easily, but they're in the top half of all quarterbacks, if not the top one third. He is having a pretty good year, so I wonder if he's going to play next year. But that New Orleans thing—I mean, there's so many rumors. Last year was all Miami, and there were maybe different circumstances why he didn't go there. But this is crazy. A story will continue to follow. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Coach Laura Beeman of the Rainbow Wahine basketball team will be joining us, talking basketball. And well, this past weekend, the game on Sunday against UNLV, and what is ahead? They'll have a game on the road at San Jose. State a week from today. All ahead on ESPN Honolulu, Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayward filling in on the Bobby Curran Show. It is Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayward. 
Network. We are the Sports Animals today on ESPN Honolulu. Chris Hart will be back with us on Friday, and we are going to talk some Rainbow Wahine basketball right now as we are joined on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. Head coach Laura Beeman joins the show. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. I know Sunday was a tough loss and a game where you had trailed by as many as 15 but made a nice comeback, a nice run in the fourth quarter, and actually tied the game late, but it wasn't enough at the end. What were your thoughts on Sunday's game overall? Yeah, I think it it did a couple things. Um, By the way, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yes. (laughs) Um, I think it did a couple things. You know, it exposed some areas where we have to grow, and it kind of shined a a really good light on some areas where I think we've we've had some growth. So, you know, we are still trying to get healthy. We are still trying to find those lineups that, you know, work well with one another, some chemistry. Uh, it was nice to have Olivia Davies back in the, the lineup since that, you know, opening weekend. Uh, she's been unable to go. So, you know, we're just still sorting things out. Um, so I, I think that, that Sunday's game just really did a good job of, of giving the girls some confidence in, in some areas. And then, like I said, it really kind of shined a light on areas that we need to continue to grow. Olivia Davies, as you mentioned, was out, I think, since the Oregon State game, and I believe she was the leading scorer with 14 points. That says a lot about her to be able to come in after missing over a month, I guess it was, and be able to come in and, you know, have a great game like that. I can imagine um, once she gets more in basketball shape and gets more acclimated, she's going to be even more of a force this season for your team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have definitely missed her composure. We've missed, you know, her ability to bring the ball down the floor as a secondary ball handler. You know, she's a great playmaker. Um, just her, her basketball IQ is very, very impressive. So, you know, we have definitely missed that. I, I think one of the, the largest areas that we're still continuing to try to find is our leadership. And she puts a little bit of a dent in that with a, an added voice on the court, which we so desperately need. Um, and I think that that's probably, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest areas that um, is affecting us at times uh, adversely is we just don't have that leadership voice. So, you know, we're hoping that as the season continues to grow and, and these guys continue to get comfortable and with the addition of, you know, live back in the lineup and then hopefully Kelsey here soon, we'll get some of that leadership that we need. How tough is it when you have the gaps between games that you've had this year? I know it's really tough to schedule uh, and for Hawaii. A lot of teams go through this, but you, you, and I know sometimes teams will take off, well, not sometimes, tapes off during finals week, but your last game was two weeks previously. That was the Stanford game. Uh, you have a week, you have a week and a half off between UNLV and next Wednesday's game against San Jose State. Is that a concern? Does that make a difference when you're off for such a long period of time? You know, I actually like it this time of year, you know, because we hit the ground running and we have two games off island and then we come back and we go into that, you know, the two back-to-back tournaments where we're playing, you know, five games in such a short amount of time. The time in between our opponents, I think, is really beneficial for us. Um, You know, it allows us to work on us because once we get back from that opening road trip, you know, we are in scout land. You know, we are really just trying to prepare for the teams that are in our tournaments and they're always difficult opponents. So I think that the break between UNLV, San Jose, um, I think it really allows us to work on us to get some schemes put together um, to really just kind of refine things. Because once we get back from San Jose, there's a very short break for the holidays and, you know, we're all regrouping on the mainland on December 26th for a December 29th game at UC Davis. So I think it's really helpful for us. We won't get another break like this all year long. 
Laura Beeman, head coach for the Rainbow Wahine basketball team, joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You mentioned the San Jose State game and the holiday break, Christmas break that you're on the mainland, and you've done this, I believe, since year one. And I think that's really great that you do it. You give every player basically a chance to be home, whether it's here in Hawaii or on the mainland where a lot of girls are from. I think that's just great that you're able to accomplish that scheduling-wise. Yeah, you know, it's, it sometimes gets a little bit tricky, but to be able to have the girls on the mainland a few days prior to Christmas allows them to get home quicker and cheaper. Um, and then obviously the young ladies that are, you know, here in Hawaii or staff that's in Hawaii, we all jump on a plane the very next morning or we take a red eye back to Honolulu so we can spend time with our families as well. And then, like I said, we all reconvene on the 26th and we'll have a practice there up in Davis and spend the next few days preparing for them in Cal Poly Slow. Um, and then we hit a we we tackle a very very hard road trip off the bat. Um, you know, obviously, you know, people say we we should be used to it. You don't get used to you know having such a short Christmas break, being away from family, and then mm-hmm. having to go to Davis, drive down to Slow, drive back into L.A., come back home. You know, it's it's a tough one, but uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to do some fun things on the road. Um, you know, if we can, and uh, big biggest things we need to be prepared for Davis and Slow. Um, by the time we play them on the 29th and the 31st. Right. I'm going to ask a little bit more about the Big West in just a second. I want to get your thoughts on a couple of players. We talked, um, obviously, about Olivia coming back. But Lily Wahine Kapo comes in at the freshman of the year last year at Fullerton uh, from Iolani. She had 12 points on Saturday. It looks like she stepped into that starting position. I don't know how much of a vocal leader she has been, but it looks like she's just doing a great job on the court from what I've seen. She's a great kid. You know, she is a competitor. Uh, she wants to win. You know, she is, is figuring out our system. Um, it's very different than what she, you know, experienced last year. Um, you know, yeah, that probably the area where I would love to see all of my players, not just Lily, but all of my players grow, is that leadership role on the floor. And I think Lily is, is really trying to stretch herself and has really taken on that challenge um, and knows there needs to be continued growth. Uh, her offensive, you know, mindset IQ is huge. You know, she's able to talk to me on the, the sidelines, say, hey, coach, can we run this? I'm seeing this. And absolutely, I've entrusted her with running our, our offense when she's out there. Uh, defensively is, is still a work in progress for the entire team. Um, you know, that's just something that now we're kind of in the refining steps. But the addition of Lily and then obviously her sister Jovi, um, you know, it, right. it's exciting for our fans. It's exciting for us as a staff. Um, and those two young ladies are just great basketball players, even better kids. So we're really excited about their future with our program and, and what they brought to our program. I want to ask you a question that I've been asked. I mean, I talk to fans all the time. They talk Rainbow Warrior basketball, Rainbow Wahine basketball. One of the comments I get or questions is, you know, the team has struggled when, when lost record-wise so far, but do they miss Amy Atwell? Is that the reason they have struggled? And I know Amy was everything, even though there were so many players that contributed last year, but you still have a lot of talent on this team. So I'm just curious how you would respond to that question or comment. That's a great question, and I don't think any of us recognized how vital Amy was, you know, during it, uh, during during the season last year. But when you play with a pro, um, there is a void, and it's not one person that's going to fill that void. You have to have multiple people fill that void. Um, Amy did things for our offense that nobody on our team at this moment is capable of doing or coming close to. You know, Amy could hit the big shot with consistency she required a scout every game that we played and so teams had to figure out are we just going to let amy score 
or are we going to try to stop her, which then opened up other, you know, lanes or spacing um, or areas within our offense. So there's no doubt that we are missing Amy. Uh, I think where Amy is so crucially missed is she had a pro uh, practice style. I guess that's the best way to say it. Her work ethic Mm. was that of someone trying to go pro. And so she set a bar every day in practice um, at which the level we needed to play and compete against one another. Um, and, and there's a difference between a pro and someone who's playing college basketball. So I think there's a lot of areas where Amy was vital for our success and we are definitely missing. Um, I think as time goes on, we're going to continue to fill that void, but you don't fill the void unless you, another pro steps up. The, 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 there's a significant, significant difference <laughs> between a college player and someone that was drafted into the WNBA and now starting and playing, you know, in Australia. Right. Um, it's not an excuse. It's just you got to figure out how to work without her. Um, and those moments where she was unstoppable, we definitely are feeling some of those at this point. Great, great comments on the, that situation there. So you mentioned after the San Jose State game, you go right into Big West play on the 29th of December, New Year's Eve. You'll be at Cal Poly after the Davis game. What, what have you seen in the Big West so far, some of the teams that you'll be competing with for the top of the division? You know, I think Santa, Par- Santa Barbara at this point is probably, you know, one of the top teams. They have all the pieces with post-play, guard play, um, athletes. They, they've won some really good games in the preseason. Um, they're doing some of the stuff that we've expected them to do. Uh, you know, other teams, I think they have really good records. Um, I don't know if they've been challenged like we've been challenged. And I, I think that it goes back to our preseason scheduling that we normally go into conference with a sub-500 you know, 500 record and we get into conference, and there's not really anything we're not ready for. So, mm. uh, you know, some of the teams in conference right now that have great records, I want to see how they hold up, you know, against conference opponents that know them well, can make adjustments, um, us being one of those teams, obviously. So I think Santa Barbara, though, back to your point, probably um, has impressed me the most. Um, and then you have some unknowns with, you know, Cap Poly Slow has a new team. You have Irvine that's, you know, fully a different roster from last year, and they were in the championship game. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns. I think our conference is strong. It's just going to be a really interesting season to see who can be consistent versus just the ups and downs that I think everyone has shown so far. Well, Santa Barbara will be here on senior night. That's a long ways away on March 4th. Uh, you'll see them on the road before that. But, yeah, conference plays a whole different season, and we know your team will do well. The next home game for your team will be on Saturday, January 7th, against Cal State Fulton. We've got a lot of games coming up after that. Coach, want to thank you for joining us. Good luck on the road at San Jose State, and we'll see you when you get back home for Big West play in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thank you so much again for having me on, and happy holidays to everyone. Have- Happy holidays to you as well. Thank you so much. That is head coach Laura Beeman talking Rainbow Wahine basketball on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia. You know a guy. And we'll talk some more sports. We'll have some giveaways coming up. Rivals Fantasy Football Show is coming up at 8 a.m. All ahead with the sports animals filling in for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. It is just minutes away, the rival fantasy football show, final edition for this season, and we will have Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. He will be joining the show to give some advice. I've actually got one question for him from my lineup. Of course, uh, Tanner and I, actually in our ESPN Honolulu League, everybody is in the playoffs, just that some of us 
or on the, I guess, the, we wouldn't call it the winner's bracket, uh, the, but the other people are in the consolation bracket. I believe Josh falls in that category. Am I correct, Tanner? Tanner's looking it up. I, I believe Josh is in the consolation bracket and kind of split in half. We have 14 teams in our league. We're going to have a Jamar Chase autograph photo to give out coming up on the show as well. It's a beautiful picture, courtesy of Rival Sports Bar and Lounge and Waikiki. So that is coming up ahead. A reminder, you know, next week we, we talked about the Diamond Head Classic and the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl, and we will have Easy Post Hawaii football tickets to give out. We'll do that right after the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. But we also have the coaches versus cancer reception in Waikiki, Kanakapila Grill, Tuesday at six uh, 7 o'clock, excuse me. And it should be a lot of fun. And I know Josh will be broadcasting there live uh, starting at 7 p.m. But all the coaches are going to be down there. There's a silent auction going on right now. And you can see some really, really great auction items available. A lot of variety. And you can definitely check that out and put your bids in there. Good, um, The bids are accepted until Tuesday, right around 6 p.m., I believe. Daryl Garvin told us the other night. Tickets for the event also for the Coaches versus Cancer event are available. You can get them online as well. And uh, it's always a really big event. It's for a great cause. All the money raised stays here in Hawaii. And as Daryl Garvin told us the other day, uh, seven of the eight coaches will be there for the uh, coaches versus cancer event and i know somebody told me i bet patino will be the guy not there i, I don't know what i'm hosting i own i haven't gone that far but i do know when they sent me their itinerary for every meal every time every time they leave practice and all that stuff they do have them attending the event um there might be a coach and i don't have everybody's travel plans in front of me there might be a coach that arrives on tuesday the 21st uh the uh well Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 21st, excuse me, where maybe they'd be getting there too late. Actually, it's, it's the uh, 20th, again, for the event. I'm getting it mixed up with the, the banquet we're having. It's next Tuesday the 20th, and a lot of teams are getting here Monday. There might be a team or two getting here Tuesday, so that might be the reason. But it's kind of cool that you get to talk to all these coaches, and there's some really well-known coaches every year, uh, and it should be a fun event. Uh, I haven't been to one in a while, so I'm looking forward to that. And, again, tickets are available for that as well. And again, next week going to be a fun week if you're a sports fan. I know Hawaii's not in the bowl game, the easy post-Hawaii bowl. Still should be a pretty entertaining game uh, with San Diego State and Middle Tennessee. And as I'm looking right now, San Diego State, for those of you that care, they are a seven-point favorite. Under over is 49-and-a-half. And it uh, should be great. The only college football game on that day. And it will be on ESPN television. And then you have the basketball games, four on Thursday, four on Friday, football Saturday, and then four basketball games on Sunday. Uh, if you're any kind of a sports fan, you can kind of pick and choose. And some people will go to as many games as they can. Some people go to all four basketball games a day. I, I haven't done that, but I've come close. I probably have gone to about eight or nine of the 12 over that three-day stretch. But going to be a fun sports week, that is for sure. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it is that time, the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. Get your questions ready and get ready to win a great prize. Coming up, up with the, with the sports animals here on ESPN Honolulu 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Now, Rivals Fantasy Football on ESPN Honolulu. 
It is time. Yes, the Rivals Fantasy Football Show on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here. And we've had a great time doing this show all season long. We thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully you've enjoyed our national experts and today's one one of the best, if not the best, we have had on Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. See a few questions coming in via our text line at 808-296-1420. You can do the same thing. You can also call up. Do it the old-fashioned way. Uh, he'll join us about 820, so the call should come around then, but text and come in now if you would like. And then after that, a Jamar Chase autographed photo courtesy of Rival Sports Bar and Lounge. We thank them, Mike and everybody there, for giving us great memorabilia to give out. These prizes are fantastic. One of the things I wanted to look at, Tanner, and I, I like doing this, like for let's say for college football as an example, you look at the preseason poll and you look at the polls like a month later and you see all the differences there. So for fantasy football, I'm looking at a list that came out on, I think it was September 5th it came out, and it has the top 100 fantasy players projected. Now, I'm not going to read all of them. I'm not going to read the majority of them, but I'm going to go over some of them. And I think it's, again, the, the thing I get out of fantasy football a couple things that when I look at the projections before a season, it's going to be based on a running back for the most part who had a great, great year the year before. One example, back then, it's been probably was about eight, nine years ago now, DeMarco Murray, I had him. And he had an unbelievable year. In the league I was in then, you were able to franchise a player for the following year. So I franchised DeMarco Murray. Well, he went from Tennessee, I believe, to Philadelphia, and he was not that great in Philadelphia. And he was okay after that, but he was never the same player. Uh, just wasn't that great. He was Dallas, Philly, and Tennessee, I think, for the three teams he was, if I'm not mistaken. But when he was on, you know, he was really good except for Philly. And you'll see guys that are projected to be really great, and they might have an injury. And I hate that with anybody in any sport, but that'll be a reason they're not successful in fantasy. This guy falls into maybe an in-between category. He's been hurt a little, and you know who I'm going with, I guess. Everybody's draft going into the season had to have Jonathan Taylor as number one, correct? I know he was the number one pick in our league. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't pick Jonathan Taylor with the first overall pick, you were probably going to be clowned in the group chats. Right. You know, <laughs> so, I mean, when you look at it going into the year, it felt like kind of a nice payoff year for the Indianapolis Colts because they're coming off a of, honestly, uh, an okay year. They get Matt Ryan, who going into the year, which is going to be the buzzword of this statement, was – Coming off a good year with the Atlanta Falcons, the offensive line didn't look bad. In fact, they looked pretty good. But then you go into this year, the offensive line has not been playing up to par as well as been injured to all heck. Matt Ryan has looked absolutely terrible right. and then looked okay, I think, the last couple of weeks. And right now the head coach is Jeff Saturday. And amid all that, Jonathan Taylor is having a okay running back year. At least that I think of, because I haven't heard anyone talk about Jonathan Taylor this entire NFL season. When's the last time you heard about Jonathan Taylor past fantasy football? Maybe when he was hurt. And I'm looking at his numbers right now. He's averaging, this is crazy, 11 points a game in PPR, 11.08. 
I mean, that's for, I mean, I mentioned that about Mike Evans, who was a pretty high draft pick as well, but Jonathan Taylor had to be number one. Like you said, nobody was going to pass on him, or you would be criticized heavily. And the fact that Taylor is that down right now, and again, he's been hurt a little bit, maybe he got an injury or two, but everybody goes through that. I can't do the math that quickly in my head, but I, he's, oh, I do have it right here written for me. He's 23rd in running backs, 23rd. Uh, that's just crazy. He's only played in 10 games of the 13, so he has missed three games. Still, that average is, is mind-boggling. I, I would think, I, I would be very skeptical about drafting him next year because of that. Now, the same thing, well, not the same thing, but with Saquon Barkley, first year, had a great year. I think he had a pretty decent year, year two, if I'm not mistaken. But the last couple of years, because he's been hurt, people expect him to bounce back and be the old Saquon Barkley. And even though he's having a better year this year than he has the last two, he's still not a guy like he was early in his career. He's fifth in running backs, and he's averaging a respectable 17.4 points. But Jonathan Taylor, I mean, sometimes you will get these one-hit wonders. And I don't think Jonathan Taylor was just a one-year success story. I think he'll be good and better than this. It's hard to be worse than this for the guy that good. But it's amazing how far down he has gone. But who would have believed that at the beginning of the year? It's a smart pick to take. But he's a guy that has really struggled for various reasons. And when you look at Jonathan Taylor, I think much could be said about a season once you talk about the guy that's one spot above him. Devin Singletary. You know, that right. guy. The guy yeah. who's who runs a running back committee in Buffalo probably one of the worst running back committees in the NFL with him, James Cook, and another guy uh, whose name is escaping me. But Devin Singletary and the Buffalo Bills, they don't run the ball. Like, their offense is just Josh Allen and praying that Josh Allen doesn't get hurt. And yes. Devin Singletary is a spot above Jonathan Taylor. I think that exemplifies the season <laughs> says a lot right there. that Jonathan Taylor's had. It really does. I'm going to go over a few more of the preseason projections. So, sorry for everyone that drafted. I, it, yeah. it feels like we're kind of digging the knife in there. But you couldn't you go wrong Jonathan at the time. There wasn't a bad pick. I think Saquon Barkley. Now, Chris Hart drafted Barkley, I believe, last year. I'm not, he might even have him this year. But, again, Barkley, the projection was he was healthy this year, so it wasn't a bad pick. But he drafted him, I believe, it was last year, and it wasn't a bad pick because it was Saquon Barkley. I'm just skeptical of any almost anybody. I'd be skeptical of Odell Beckham Jr., when he ever, whenever he plays again, which looks like it'll be next year, I'd be skeptical of anybody coming off a serious injury, like Barkley, not with Jonathan Taylor. Again, there are different reasons there. But Christian McCaffrey was number two on this list. And you know what? He's kind of lived up to it. He's maybe had better success in San Francisco than Carolina. I, I would be, I, And I was skeptical of him, too, for the same reason, the injury deal. He's third, though, with, run, uh, with running back with 20.6. So he's actually fulfilling a lot of the expectations, and I give, give him credit. Not that he needs my credit, but I didn't, I didn't see him being a top three running back because of the injuries more than anything else, but he has been. Yeah, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, he had that one game where he had the passing, <laughs> receiving, and rushing touchdown this year. So really, as as of course, I think we all expected once he got traded to the 49ers, his use would basically get back to what we were used to seeing him the last couple of years. Because with Carolina, yeah, he was the number one player, but you wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that he was being used to the most his best potential. I think with a guy like Kyle Shanahan, with years to come, Christian McCaffrey should look to be a first or second running back taken every single year. Even with guys like Austin Eckler and Derrick right. Henry you know, still performing, you know, really amazingly last year and this year still, too. Yeah, Austin Eckler's number one. 
and he's been number one for a good month, if not longer, uh, 22 and a half points a game. He was projected number three, so that was pretty accurate there. Cooper Cup, four, Derrick Henry, five, Najee Harris, six, Justin Jefferson, seven, Jamar Chase, eight, DeAndre Swift, nine, Dalvin Cook, ten. I won't go on and on, but you, get, you kind of get the sense there about these players. You know, good pick. I think one of the guys that might, well, I think Justin Jefferson would probably be higher than number seven. Najee Harris would be lower than number six right now. But And Devontae Adams, by the way, was number 13. Uh, but a lot of the picks have worked out, just a few here and there that don't. I'm going to get the wide receiver leader for right now, and it's your guy, Justin Jefferson, who started off the season with a bang and really hasn't let up that much. He had a couple of off games. I know the Jets actually did a pretty good job against him, but he's number one with 22.8 points. Uh, so you got to give him a ton of credit. And Tyreek Hill, number two. People were wondering, well, Tyreek Hill is leaving Patrick Mahomes. Do you still draft him high? He's got that Tua guy. And it's worked out where... I mean, uh, Tyreek Hill hasn't missed a beat, and either is Patrick Mahomes, which is interesting. I thought one of them would struggle offensively and fantasy-wise, but that hasn't happened yet, has it? I think it just shows how amazing both guys are. Yeah. Because as as all of the attention that Patrick Mahomes does get, I'm glad that Tyreek Hill is starting to cement himself as a top-five receiver in the NFL because he has been that guy. But unfortunately, because of Patrick Mahomes, everyone's just seen him as a guy that runs streaks because he's really fast. Tyreek Hill, past being really fast, is also probably one of the one of the snappiest route runners, I think, in the NFL. Sure. I love how he runs routes, and especially in an offense like he has with Mike McDaniel, I think he shows that basically every week when he can. Uh, Tyreek Hill, I think, I'm glad he's getting the recognition that he gets and now that he is no longer just small guy run fast. You know what's interesting about the list for wide receiver as far as scoring leaders? Four of the, four of the top ten are on new teams, including number two, three, and four. Hill is number two with Miami, and I don't think this happens too often when you switch teams and you don't miss a beat. Devontae Adams, number three. You know, Nuff said he's had a great year. We know the Raiders haven't. Uh, then A.J. Brown, actually not three in a row, but three out of the top five. A.J. Brown, number five overall. And then number 10 is Christian Kirk, who went from Arizona to Jacksonville. He's on my team and averaging 15 points a game. But I would imagine that – I would think that's pretty rare to have guys switch teams and four of, the, four of the top 10 are on new teams at that position. That's interesting. Well, when you look at the guys that moved, I mean, you're, you're moving top NFL talent. Yeah, with, like especially with Devontae Adams going to the Raiders. Devontae Adams was the best wide receiver the last two years in the NFL. You look at Tyreek Hill, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL since he's gotten into the league. And A.J. Brown, a guy who's deserved this kind of recognition, it's, it's too bad that his offensive coordinator was Arthur Smith for much of his career because now he gets the attention that he deserves in an offense that really passes the ball around as well as runs it very well with the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown has had some amazing performances and amazing enough performance a week or two ago to fire the old GM at Tennessee for trading him. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't for trading him. I do know that. But it's it's just interesting <laughs> how the game after they play the Titans, he gets fired. The day after they played him, I believe it was. It was like the day after, that Monday or Tuesday of last week. That was, that was was I think that was more than just a coincidence there. So, yeah, not a lot of, a lot of surprise. And, again, I'm not sure about – uh, receivers or any position players switching teams and how they end up in the ranking. But that's uh, surprising in a way that four of the top ten are there. I, I would not have expected this going into the season that 
Jalen Hurts would have more fantasy points, not by a lot, but more than Patrick Mahomes. And you can say, well, no Tyreek Kill, but again, Mahomes doing a good job. Probably what he averages over the year, 24.6. Uh, but you got Jalen Hurts, 25.7. Part of it is his passing, but more of it where he has 10 rushing touchdowns. Uh, that's that's significant right there. Nobody else. I guess the next closest guy is Justin Field with eight rushing touchdowns. The boy that he come out of nowhere. If you drafted him, I wonder how many people drafted Justin Field this year and then waived him before he went on that run. And pun intended there. Because it was his running more than his passing that got him high up where he's the number five quarterback fantasy-wise right now. I mean, I remember the hype around Justin Fields and everyone's like, okay, maybe he could do it. And then the first... Oh, man, that first couple of games with Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears were rough. You know, I'm really glad that we haven't talked about the Chicago Bears in a, yeah. in a pretty long time here. But Justin Fields, I think, is such an important piece, such an important player right now in the NFL that he has shown what you can do as a running quarterback and what you have to do to protect a guy like this. Because without Justin Fields, the Chicago Bears aren't much. They're... uh. What's it? What, who? I can't. I'm trying to think of a guy on their team right now. David Montgomery. Yeah, I guess that might be uh, one. Mooney? They don't. They don't have a lot of well. Mooney, the receiver but, who's out for the year. It shows how on fantasy how important it is to have a guy like a Jalen Hurts or a Justin Fields who not only can do it in the air but really shows their dominance on the ground. And that's why Jalen Hurts, I think, has done so well is because in the Nick Sirianni system, Nick Sirianni loves to run the ball. Uh, Miles Sanders, him. Um, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, Gainwell, right, all right. these guys, you know, do so well on the ground, especially with one of the best running offensive lines. I think Jordan Mailata is consistently one of the best uh, uh, run blocking uh, left tackles in the league. You have Jason Kelsey, who's notorious for his amazing pulls as a center. You have a couple of other guys like Sayumalo and Lane John and Lane Johnson who are doing their thing when they can. The Philadelphia Eagles are built to run, and when they can pass the ball too, it's great. <laughs> yeah, but they, they are a fun team to watch. Hertz has 686 rushing yards. Josh Allen, I would think, going into the season would be considered the best running quarterback. Lamar Jackson, of course, is up there. Uh, Josh Allen has had a quiet year. I don't think he's missed a start yet, even though he was hurt a couple of times. But 628 yards. But Justin Fields is going to rush for 1,000 yards. That doesn't happen often with quarterbacks. I know that's a 17th game. I have a feeling he'll do it before the 17th game because he's got 905 right now. Um, and he's only passed for 1,896 yards and 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. The passing numbers aren't good at all, uh, but the rushing numbers are really good for him. He's got eight rushing touchdowns. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's number five. And, again, I, I would think, and I don't know about our league specifically. I know somebody had him at least initially, but he might have been a guy you waived after a few weeks because he just wasn't producing and there's other quarterbacks that are available. By the way, a couple of names you might be interested in for the quarterback spot, Tua Tagovailoa, 13th on quarterbacks, 15.57 points a game. I would have thought a little bit higher. And Marcus Mariota, um, you know, not at the top, but not doing that bad, and he is 16th. So not that far in back of Tua, averaging 15.12 uh Yard up points per game in fantasy football. But you look at the, some of the other guys on this list. Derek Carr, number 17. Aaron Rodgers, number 18. Russell Wilson, number 19. Uh, those are the bigger names. Dak Prescott, number 25. I would have thought he'd be higher. Uh, Tom Brady, I'm going to find here. He's 15. 
Uh, you, you would expect those greats to have better fantasy numbers, and you know, it just shows that there's kind of a changing of the guard with the Justin Herberts, the Joe Burrows, uh, Geno Smith, number six in fantasy. That is crazy. But we know, I mean, he's going to get MVP votes. The last two weeks, he slowed down a little. Seattle had that tough loss to Carolina on Sunday, but Geno Smith's going to get some consideration. That's got to be one of the feel-good stories in the NFL. But you're seeing different quarterbacks than you might expect. Jalen Hurts was coming off a good year, still. When you see him uh, put up number one numbers for quarterback, I don't think people expected necessarily that, especially with Mahomes and a Josh Allen. Joe Burrow's been hurt. He missed a little bit of time, but uh, pretty interesting there. Well, we're going to continue our fantasy football talk as we come back after this break. Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com will be joining us. He will be happy to answer your questions. We've got a whole bunch of text questions that have come in. We'll get to them next on the Rivals Fantasy Football Show on ESPN Honolulu. This is Rivals Fantasy Football on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM at 1420 AM. Gary Dickman here on ESPN Honolulu, the Rivals Fantasy Football Show, Tanner Hayworth as well. And we're going to welcome in our guest two weeks in a row. He's been with us from day one since I've been doing the show many years ago. We thank him again for joining us. He is a senior editor at rotowire.com, also the host of the Rotowire Fantasy Sports Today show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Jeff Erickson with us. Jeff, thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate today and all season long and all the years you've been with us. What is your biggest takeaway from fantasy football this year as far as maybe the biggest surprise or biggest disappointment? Uh, a couple things. One, biggest surprise was Josh Jacobs for me. Biggest miss, I should say. I got that completely wrong. Thought that uh, he would be his role would be marginalized, and I didn't think he would be that productive. I didn't have him in any of my leagues. I advised people to go to, to not take him, uh, to find other alternatives in that range. So completely wrong on him. Surprise! I would be it would be that you know there weren't too many late round QBs that uh, emerged this year. Usually you get two or three. It's almost always profitable to, to wait on QBs. But this year, if you got one of the premium quarterbacks, you're probably in better shape. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen has been a little bit disappointing in the last couple of weeks, but still he's getting you those rushing yards. Jalen Hurts has been massive. Joe Burrow has been fantastic lately. If you grabbed one of those premium quarterbacks, you're doing pretty well. Uh, same thing holds true at tight end, where if you got Travis Kelsey, Winhead got him at the end of the first, beginning of the second. It's been a massive difference versus the rest of the year league, like 75 points better than the next best tight end. Uh, and most of the other tight ends have been just, you know, you know, disastrous, you know, whether by injury or just bad performance in some cases there. But, you know, it's just a huge advantage over the field. So I expect to see those premium guys at those positions, get pushed up a lot next year. We have a lot of questions that have come in via our text line. We'll get to those in just a second. 808-296-1420 is the text and the phone number. One more question before we go to our text, and a lot of people in the playoffs. I, I haven't followed this part so closely, but I was mentioning earlier that you look at the wide receivers for PPR, and four of the top ten are on new teams this year, starting with Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, and Christian Kirk. Is that an exception to the rule, or is that kind of normal with something like that could happen? Well, I think it's reflective of what happened this past offseason where so many elite players switch teams. Uh, usually you don't see that many elite wide receivers go to new teams. Uh, the, the Adams and Hill trade and, and Brown, all the all three of those trades, you know, the teams that went out and got went after them got rewarded. I love seeing that. 
Um, you know, the, the Raiders have other issues where their team might not be doing as well, but they've certainly gotten the performance from Adams. They can't complain about that. Uh, although they need to use him more, Gary. I mean, Thursday night we saw it against the Rams where they forgot about him in the second half and they, to their own chagrin, as it turns out. But like the Eagles in particular, they saw that they had a good young quarterback that they needed to surround him with talent. Um, they went out, they got A.J. Brown, and they've been justly rewarded. That offense is a rocket ship right now, and it, it's in no small part because they have two elite wide receivers surrounding Hurts. Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com is our guest on the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. Let's go to our text line and see what our listeners need help with. Uh, first question from Royden says, would you play Brock Purdy or Mike White this week? Uh, probably Mike White. You know, both players have injury issues, uh, but – uh, Purdy with the short week, you know, playing on Thursday night, I think, and, and on the road, I think I'm less inclined to go with him. I think I'd go with White against the Lions. Okay, another question comes in. What is the status of Cooper Cup? Will he be back for fantasy playoffs? He will not. Uh, the Rams just said he will not return this season. So, uh, unfortunately, you, you can cut him if you're in a season-long league with no keeper element. Okay, another one. First with defense, a two-parter, New England or Buffalo's defense? Um, that's a good question. They're both pretty good this week. I'm going to go with the Buffalo defense. Uh, Miami is, is in a tough spot right now because this is the third week in a row. They're traveling long distances. They had the Sunday night game, and now they have a short week this week playing on Saturday night where there could be snow in Buffalo. Two is banged up. Their offensive line's banged up. Go with Buffalo. Okay. And the other question he has, should he activate T.Y. Hilton who just signed with Dallas? Uh, no, uh, I, I, I'm going to play the wait-and-see game. You know, Hilton wasn't productive last year, so I don't really feel like there's any urgency to add him. Uh, he may not even be active this week. He just signed. You know, he's been off all season. So I think at best he's their fourth receiver. Yeah, I think what he had, like 23 catches or something like that last year in 10 games. Not that great. Uh, here's another question. says he's in a league that runs through the Super Bowl, and you automatically get the backup quarterback from the same team if your quarterback goes down. So Heineke, Mike White, or Brock Purdy? Uh, Purdy, if it's going all the way to the Super Bowl, he's the only one of those that's got a chance, I feel like. Jets will probably make the playoffs, but I don't see them making a run. I think it's a good story, but uh, Purdy's the only one I think that has a chance at a long run. Okay, let's see what else we have here. Uh, somebody's letting us know about Marcus Mariota. Here's one saying, uh, for Jeff, he needs a sleeper defense for the playoffs. Available teams are the Jets, the Packers, was well, a lot. Jets, Packers, Saints, Lions, Browns, and Jacksonville. A lot to go sift through, but I love the Packers this week. Going up against Baker Mayfield and that Brown and then that Rams, excuse me, a patchwork offensive line uh, in Lambeau on Monday night. I think that's going to be a pretty good match that the Packers should smash. From a fantasy perspective, this wasn't a text. I'm just asking on my own, but for, from a fantasy perspective, is Baker Mayfield a good guy to pick up at this point if you need a quarterback? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> no, no Cup, no Robinson, bad offensive line. I think that was a nice last drive. Uh, but it wasn't really that productive of a fantasy day. Um, you know, and again, it's just there, but for the grace of the, the, the Raiders go I. I mean, the Raiders had that, the, the, the two terrible penalties on that drive. The one slapping the ball out of his hand. I mean, just ridiculous right, uh, right. penalty there. That was a 30, 30 yard swing. <laughs> You're really right. Uh, I have one more question from the same texture than Tanner has one for you, but uh, the texture needs one wide receiver from Chris Olave, Christian Kirk, Michael Gallup, and Juju Smith Schuster. Um, I would probably go. 
I think Kirk over Olave, they're, they're really close. I have them 17 and 19, respectively. Okay, and Tanner has a question for you. Yeah, so I will say straight up, you know, I'm a T. Higgins owner. Um, how do you, uh, how do you, when you're looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, their practice reports, their injury reports, or at least for last week, their lack of an injury report for T. Higgins, how do you go about it this week if you're a T. Higgins owner? Do you just say, you know, hope he plays and you throw him in the starting lineup, or you should you be watching reports from the Cincinnati Bengals all week? Yeah, it's really hard to trust them. And I'm trust me, I'm a Bengals fan. I understand <laughs> a little bit why they did it because it was a game against a division rival. Maybe they didn't want them to have enough time to adjust their coverages accordingly. But that was that was a terrible, no good, awful move by them because they clearly knew he wasn't going to go. I'm not buying the aggravated and and warm up story one second. Um, I, I think uh, yet the one thing that was giving us a clue was he had a full practice Wednesday last week, and then limited practices Thursday and Friday that the injury popped up, yet they cleared him from the injury list. So I would say he needs to have a full practice on Friday before he's going to play for me uh, this week. I mean, it really comes down to that, you know, absent like, you know, you know, all the national media guys are going to dig into this though this week. That's the good thing is you know that Glazer is going to be all over it. You know that, and, and, and he in particular is the guy I trust the most, followed by Adam Schefter. If either of those guys say he's definitely playing, Okay, then I'll roll with it. But complicating matters is they're playing in the late afternoon window. Well, for you guys, it's still morning. Uh, but you know the second set of games, and that and plus there's three Saturday games in addition to the Thursday game this week. So a lot of our pivots will have already played. So that's the thing that makes it even harder. So I need to see a full practice on Friday, really, from Higgins before I'm going to commit to playing him. Okay, we got two more here that I want to get to. One needs a quarterback. He had Lamar Jackson. He has Heineke, Dalton, Mac Jones. Uh, I guess Daniel Jones, he just wrote Jones after that, Sam Darnold, and Tyler Huntley. Yeah, Huntley's probably not going to play. He's got the concussion. Oh, we'll see. Maybe he'll he'll clear it in time. Um, tough call. I'd say Daniel Jones. I don't love the matchup against the Commanders, but the, the good news is he does have a, a, a baseline of rushing yards, which always kind of you know augments your day a little bit there. So all it takes is – you know, 50, 60 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, you're going to have a reasonable fantasy day. So uh, otherwise, these are all like bottom 10 guys otherwise that you're choosing, which makes yeah. sense. I mean, you're choosing among the waiver wire to try to replace Lamar, which is a tough break. Uh, yeah, if Lamar plays, then it's Lamar, obviously, but uh, otherwise, Jones. Okay, well, one more. We have he needs to choose two running backs in a half-point PPR league. He's got Etienne, and he also has a choice of Swift, Pacheco, and Montgomery. Which two of those three should he take? I'd go Pacheco and Montgomery. Swift just doesn't have the snaps right now. I mean, he looked like he was in that direction, and then last week you know, there was a three-headed monster between he, Jamal Williams, and even Justin Jackson. Uh, and obviously I can't trust. Plus, I hate the matchup against the Jets this week. Right. Okay. And before we let you go, Jeff, can you let our listeners know if they want to get more access either today, this week, or in the future, how can they go about it to get some great info from you through you and rotowire.com? Sure thing. Thanks, Gary. Uh, I would recommend going to rotowire.com slash free. It gives you a free car, uh, no credit card trial. All you have to do is put in a valid email address, and you get uh, a look behind the paywall. You'll see my ranking. You can use our Ask an Expert service. You can see our free agent articles, our, our, our dive into the deeper stats, our, our backfield breakdown and target breakdown by Jerry Donabedi and exploiting the matchups. Uh, if you're in a pick and pool, we've got you covered there. A lot of different angles. So rotowire.com slash free will get you there. 
All right, Jeff, thank you again for coming on again all season long and all of these years. We really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and your family, and we can't wait to do it again next year. You bet. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Good luck to you guys in your fancy playoffs, and happy holidays. All right. Thank you so much. Jeff Erickson joining us here via the Aloha Kia hotline. See ya in a Kia. And what we're going to do right now, take a quick break. When we come back, if you'd like to win our final giveaway of the season, it's a Jamar Chase 11 by 14 autograph photo. Give us a call at 808-296-1420, and it could be yours coming up next. This is Rivals Fantasy Football on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. We are back with the Rivals Fantasy Football Show on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth, time to make you a winner. And we've got the 11 by 14 autograph photo authentic of Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals. Probably, well, I'm not sure he'd be up there with my MVP. He missed a whole bunch of games. He's on my roster. Regular season champ, I should mention, uh, getting ready for the playoffs. Yes, Tanner, second, we both have the two best records in the league. Uh, but Josh Allen, Jamar Chase, great for me. But I've got Jamar Chase, a photo to give out, which means Jamar Chase trivia. On the phone right now at 808-296-1420 is Sean. Hi, Sean. How's it going? Hey, how's it? Okay, here is your question. I'm going to go in a little bit in the opposite direction of what I normally would ask. Instead of asking for the most yards or touchdowns, within 30, I'm going to give you a nice range there, within 30 yards, what is the least amount of yards Jamar Chase has had in a game this year? So in other words, if it was 100 and you said 70, you're within 30. Uh, let's say 50. You said 50. I'm going to do the math in my head. You're 21 yards off, which means you're within 30. So you are the winner. It was against the New York Jets football team. I know that's not what they're called normally like that. But 29 yards in that game with six catches. The Jets did a pretty good job against him. And Justin Jefferson, actually. Too bad the Jets don't win those games. But they did a good job against the star receivers. You got it, Sean. You are the winner. Thank you. All right, congratulations. Uh, hang on the phone a minute, and we will get Tanner. Tanner will get your information, and we'll get that prize to you. Good job there. And uh, we thank uh, all season long every, all of our guests for joining us with Jeff Erickson, Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News, Casey Mallon from Football Dudes LA, and Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. Also, a big thanks for Mike from Rivals Waikiki uh, Sports Bar and Lounge and Rigor Malia. He has uh, given us so many great prizes to give out all all season long over the years and the show would not be possible without the guys at rival sports bar and lounge so we thank them for that and we'll be ready to do it again next year with the rivals fantasy football show on espn honolulu you've been listening to rivals fantasy football on espn honolulu and it goes by so quick. And I remember it wasn't that long ago we were talking about who to draft. And I know there's so much excitement when any sport starts to me, but I think there's more for football. And I've said this numerous times. But because of the timing, uh, my, my reasoning is because you have – not a lot going on in the summer where when other sports start, like when, when, when football starts – you have baseball, really. When the NBA starts, and the only reason I think a lot of people look at Christmas as the unofficial start, well, they have a ton of games and great matchups on Christmas on national television, but it's also overshadowed by football going on. And, you know, college football 
getting into the home stretch. NFL, which is so popular, so basketball does take a little bit of a back seat. It's almost like the World Cup in a way. The World Cup, I think, to me, would be a lot more popular this time around if it was on during the summer where it normally is, as opposed to in November. And now December, when you have all the other sports going on. Uh, but for football, we just know how popular it is and everybody getting ready for fantasy football. And it goes by so quickly. And uh, hopefully we'll all have some success in our playoffs. And it is starting this week. I guess it'll start tomorrow uh, because we do have games tomorrow. And put some Saturday games. Uh, I like what Jeff was saying about Miami. I'm just looking at it from a regular perspective as opposed to the fantasy aspect. Buffalo and Miami. Miami beat Buffalo early this season. That was a game you might recall, I believe it was in early October, where the temperatures were in the high 90s or the heat index felt like it was super hot. Guys were cramping up, and Buffalo just couldn't get it done on that last drive, too. I had a great game uh, against Buffalo. Now they're going to play in Buffalo, and they purposely do these games on a Saturday where they can set three games where some of these games would be to be determined which teams play on Saturday and at what time. They gave Buffalo-Miami, and rightfully so, the prime time spot. It'll be at 3 o'clock our time, but 8.15 on the main. The three games for Saturday, by the way, let me get them real quick. Uh, the three games for Saturday in the NFL are Minnesota and Indianapolis, Cleveland and Baltimore, and then Buffalo and Miami. I think it's a no-brainer to have Buffalo and Miami as the prime time game, but the weather. I didn't see the temperature necessarily, but there's talk that they are going to get a lot of snow. And remember, the last time they got a lot of snow in Buffalo, they moved the game to Detroit. Now, I haven't heard that being thought about or talked about yet for this game. They're not expecting two feet of snow like they did last month, but they are expecting snow. You know, sometimes when I hear that, well, the team like Miami is not going to be able to play well because they play in Miami. Now they're playing in weather. I think most football players, if not all football players have played in weather. What I mean by weather is cold temperatures, tough conditions. You know, you can say that about Hawaii. Now, the altitude's a little bit different. That's tough to get acclimated to. I've heard that from numerous players and coaches over the years. But weather, if it's going to rain or snow or be in the 30s, I mean, players have done that before. Just because they're playing, let's say, at UH or in an NFL team that's a warm weather city, over the years they played in cold weather. So I don't know how much of a problem, how much of an advantage or disadvantage that ever is. But if there is such a thing as that, it could come into play because Buffalo, again, needs this game. Miami needs this game. And Buffalo is a really good home team like a lot of teams are. But if it is, like, say, in the 20s or 30s, it could become a factor. But I think it'll be a factor for both teams. Tanner, a couple of times this week, or this month, I guess, has brought up a game from last year. And if everybody's not as familiar, it was the game where what did Mac Jones throw three passes that was New England and Buffalo. The reason that game played out the way it did, because the wind was about, I mean, it wasn't a hurricane, but it was probably closer to a hurricane than mild wind, and you couldn't throw the ball in that game. So weather came into play there. Uh, but I don't know how much it's going to come into play, even if it does snow this, uh, this Saturday. But that's going to be a fun game to watch, I know. Then a lot of people are going to be like, oh, two oaks, cold game. He hasn't played gaming cold before. Dude's been playing the AFC East for the last two years. I'm sure he's played in the cold. Yeah. I think we can calm down a little bit. If he doesn't perform well in cold weather, I don't think that makes him a what's a I don't think that makes him a terrible quarterback. Guess what other quarterback is notorious for not performing well in cold weather? Is it is it Peyton Manning? Exactly. Cuz he played Manning, in the dome most of the whole game. Exactly. Games, right? So yeah. Peyton Manning has not played well in cold weather and that has stopped his legacy from 
becoming the one of the best quarterbacks of all time, right? Yeah, and I think that could and be I'm not, part also, of it. Also, I'm not trying to say like Tua is Peyton Manning. I'm just saying sometimes we don't always need to label these guys as bah, bah. We can make the argument then that, that the Buffalo Bills are not a hot weather team. Warm weather. Yeah, right, right. I, they I, can't I think play that's well way overstated. <laughs> any, anytime you talk about any team as far as the weather is concerned and how they might look. Now, the dome thing comes into play a little bit. Yes. And I even find that maybe being overblown. I mean, the numbers will maybe dispute that because you're right, Peyton Manning, I don't know the numbers, but I know he had a lot more success at home in the dome than he did on the road in open air stadiums. Uh, but I, I, I don't think he's a worse quarterback, but I guess when you're so used to playing eight games at least in a dome, and you might have a few others in your road game, that it could be a little bit of a you know, um, an adjustment, but I don't. Th- I don't think it should be on that level. I-, I wouldn't think that's a major difference. But the numbers for Peyton are there. You're right about that. Uh, that that game again is so important, as I said, for Buffalo and Miami. Buffalo, you know, they've struggled a little bit of late. Uh, Josh Allen has struggled a little bit of late. Actually, I mean, Buffalo's ten and three. So it's hard to say. It's hard to think of them as a team that has struggled. But Miami right now, two games and back. If Buffalo wins this game, they are three games ahead with three games left. I don't know who would win the tiebreaker because they would have split the season series. It might go head-to-head in the division, and I'm not sure where they stand. Uh, Buffalo has split with the Jets, but I'm not even going to go down that part right now as far as the tiebreaker. If Miami wins on Saturday, then they're only a game and back. And then I think they have a chance because Miami's got Green Bay. Um, I've got to check the other game. They don't really have any tough games after Buffalo. The three teams they are playing after Buffalo, I believe, are all under 500. New England is one of them. I guess they're over. But that's a critical game for Miami. Now, again, Miami wins a game out of first. If they lose, not only are they basically having no chance to win the AFC East, but then they fall in a situation where if New England wins, and they're playing Vegas, Josh McDaniel versus Belichick. Not really those two guys, but in a way it is. Jets got Detroit. I know Detroit is hot, but the Jets could win. You also have the Chargers. Amit and I mentioned those three teams. They're a game in back of Miami right now. If those three teams win and the Miami Dolphins lose, which is all possible, then you're looking at four teams with the same record. And then, I mean, then you really worry about these last three weeks. Now, for the Chargers, they have Tennessee at home, another winnable game. Tennessee has struggled a little bit, losing to Jacksonville next week. We're just going to make it a fun race for the rest of December and early January to see who gets those wild card spots. Yeah, and usually when it comes to that last uh, wild card spot, it was always a team that felt like they didn't really deserve to be in there. I think yeah. last year it was the – I remember for – the AFC, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. And they were playing the Chiefs, and Ben Roethlisberger in his final game that he's that he's played in the NFL went out to the press conference and said, yeah, we're just going to go out there and have some fun. We're not going to win. We're just going to go out there and have some fun. I remember that, and I was like, well, I think that says about as what we need to know as a seventh seed because as far as the last couple of years, the seventh seed hasn't really done much. I am really struggling to remember who the NFC's um, seventh seed was last year, though. Well, it wasn't San Francisco. They were a wild card, well, and they played they, Dallas. Right. And I'm trying to think of the other game. It might have been Philadelphia versus Tampa. Philadelphia, yeah, I think, was, I think the it was Philadelphia. Seed. You're right. So, once again, I think that seventh seed really hasn't been a very competitive team, but if a team like the Chargers or the Miami Dolphins end up being a seventh seed, I think it's for the first time we're finally going to see a seventh seed team really prove that they deserve to be in the playoffs because so far we haven't really seen that the last couple of years 
Right. You think, and you would think Cincinnati is going to go, oh, Cincinnati or Baltimore, they're both tied at 9-4. and four. One of them will win the division, of course. One of them should be as a wild card, although they haven't clinched it yet. So if you put Cincinnati slash Baltimore as one wild card, well, who are the other two? And again, it would be the Chargers. It could be the Chargers, Jets, New England, and Miami, four teams for two spots which is going to make it really incredible. We've got so many games of importance down the stretch, so we will look forward to that. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be back to wrap it up. We've got a lot more we want to cover. In fact, we have Easy Post Hawaii Bowl tickets, and if you would like to win them, just be caller number... I'm going to make it number one this time. How about that? If you are caller number one, these tickets for the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl will be yours. So we'll announce the winner when we come back. The Blood Bank of Hawaii needs 200 donations daily. Can you help? Well, on Oahu, you can make an appointment to donate at the Waikeli Center, Kapolei Commons, Windward Mall on Young Street or Dillingham Boulevard. Visit bbh.org to schedule your donation. This message has been brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union, and ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here. Thank you, everybody, for your calls and text at 808-296-1420. I did hear from Bobby Curran yesterday. gave me a call. It was great to hear from him. I know a lot of people ask pretty much everywhere I go, and we get the text on this show almost on a daily basis. Uh, He really appreciated that. He, He being told about all the well wishes, and he does say it makes a difference. Uh, he is really positive the surgery was a success. He is moving in the right direction. It's just a long process, but he is making strides, and I uh, hope we will get him on the show in the near future, uh, but he's still going through the process of being tested uh, all day long or four times a week and going through a lot. So, But I did hear from him yesterday and did talk to him about that article in the Star Advertiser from Stephen Sy, and he enjoyed that. And it was interesting because his I mean, the only thing he wanted to talk to me about was not about the surgery, was about UH basketball, and I thought that was funny in a way, but also kind of cool. Uh, I was asking about his health. He'd ask me about the Rainbow Warrior basketball team. Then I'd talk about his health. He'd ask me about a specific player, and it went on and on basically like that until finally we were both talking about his health at the end, but uh, it was great to hear from him yesterday. Bowl season is right around the corner. I know we don't have a lot of time left, Tanner, but we know about the playoffs, of course. I am interested in a few other games. I would never want to be the first bowl game played. To me, if you're in the first bowl game, it's almost like you're the warm-up act. And it's not to really put down a team. That's one reason I like the uh, easy post-Hawaii Bowl being played kind of near the end of all the bowl games. But December 16th is Friday. You will have the Bahamas Bowl, UAB and Miami of Ohio. I don't know a lot about either team. I know UAB made a resurgence after dropping football. But because it's the first bowl game, and it could be a great game. It could have a great finish. And that's what I like about these bowl games. Even though they don't mean a whole lot win or lose and players will bow out, the fact that you get some incredible finishes, incredible stories in these games, that's what I enjoy. And UAB versus Miami normally wouldn't have any interest, but I will definitely check it out and see if there's anything exciting going on. And then, of course, there's the world-famous Cure Bowl with Troy and Texas San Antonio. Those both those both of those games are going on on Friday. And then you go to Saturday, you got one, two, three, four, five, six games. That's a little bit too much in a way because you want to watch them all. Boise State and North Texas is the uh, one game involving a Mountain West team. Fresno State at Washington State. 
That'll be a good game. That's the L.A. Bowl, and that is the Mountain West champion. The I Jimmy think it's really Kimmel. the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, right? The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Yeah, that's, call it by its right name. I'm criticizing myself, but I'm reading L.A. Bowl on one of the uh, schedules I'm seeing. But there's some entertaining games. Again, they might not mean a lot, but it's fun to watch, and we're glad there's football there. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. Let's talk sports at noon today with Kanoa Leahy and Josh with the animals at 3 p.m. Have a great day, everybody. Aloha.